Hey, so before we get into this week's episode on Disco Elysium, which we were very excited to talk about and we're very excited to have you listen to, quick note on spoilers. So we begin discussing the game after the first ad break. You can find the exact timestamp if you need it in the episode description. We begin discussing Disco Elysium in pretty general terms, though there are some what I'd characterize as minor spoilers for gameplay, side quests, dialogue, characters, etc. After the second ad break, again, you can find the timestamp in the episode description, we go whole hog into spoiler country, yeehaw. And so that's when we're talking about major plot points and the end game. So if you haven't finished Disco Elysium yet and you're worried about that, beware the back end of this episode. Also, if you're unfamiliar with the game, it does feature some dark and disturbing content and our discussion gets into that. So just be prepared. All right. There you go. Enjoy the show. Hi, hello, and welcome to Get Played. Uh, it's your favorite podcast about video games. We've got some news today, though, which is that Nick wasn't able to make it to the record. Yeah. So, you know, you've got Apodaca. You've got Hello, me. Everyone. Hello, everyone. Um, but unfortunately, um, we have a guest. I mean, not unfortunately. This could be fun. We have a third guest host this week. Uh, his name is Egghead. Hi, Egghead. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, so that's that's really fun. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Egghead, I guess before we get into the meat of the episode, um, can you tell us like maybe what some of your favorite games are? Hardcore, hardcore to the mega. Oh. Okay. Uh, I'm already sensing that this is going to be a, a rough, a rough podcast for us. Uh, yeah, rough, hardcore. Uh, well, no, that wasn't. I mean. No offense, Egghead. That that wasn't good. It's not good that that's is the case. Uh, um, hey, uh, Egghead, what difficulty do you play uh, video games oh, on? Oh, good. Easy. <laughs> Egghead. <laughs> Sorry, I'm hardcore. Oh man, this is uh, this is pretty. This is gonna be rough. I. You um, know what though? Can I say it is still going better than when Nick is here. That's fair. That's totally fair. And you know what? I think I think this might work out for future episodes. I'm yeah. going to call up Nick and tell him that he's no longer welcome on the show. Yeah. And uh, Egghead, welcome to the team, baby. Yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we apologize to mailboxes and preach centrism to meth dealers as we play you play modern role-playing masterpiece Disco Elysium this week on Get Played.
Welcome to Get Played, your one-stop show for good games, bad games, and every game in between. It's time to Get Played! I'm your host, Heather Ann Campbell, along with my fellow host, Nick Weiger. I'm fellow host Nick Weiger, along with my fellow host, Matt Apodaca. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And welcome back, Bucket. That's right, it's a good episode today. It's a good one. Wow. The catchphrase is back from our old format. And it's uh, this now a predetermined good episode. We've we've decided before we're done that this episode is, in fact, good. (laughs) Well, I feel good about it. And that's, I mean, my metric is just like, do I feel good? And I feel pretty good. Yeah. I'm excited to talk. I'm great. I'm I'm thrilled to have this topic to discuss uh, with with two of my friends. Wow. And with everyone listening. But before we get into that. Wait, what did you say? There are other friends. Yeah, there are other friends. It's a one-sided friendship. Yeah. We talk to them, and they just sort of nod along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like my real friendships. Uh-huh. And in their head, they're like, these fucking idiots. Yeah, this fucking guy. Talk about something else. <laughs> uh, we have a... So this is... A, this, and, and I'm realizing we, don't, we haven't leaned on or decided on a name for what we're going to call kind of our monthly long play series. I don't mm-hmm. know if we do the game of the month playthrough, you know, long play. I don't know what what we're calling this exactly, but this yeah. is we're going to spend the bulk of the episode discussing uh one game. That game is Disco Elysium and we'll hopefully make it at least at, in the first part of the discussion <laughs> spoiler friendly for those of you who haven't played it. But before we get into that, wait, Heather? what if it what if we call it we play, you play, we all play a good game. <laughs> we play, you play, we all play a good yeah. game. That's going to fit sure. right in the uh, the Apple description. That's going to be That's good. Perfect. Yeah. That's not going to okay, cut well, off. Wait, wait, no. wait, wait. We got, come on, come on. We got to come up with it. We got to come up with it. It's, it's, it's. I mean, all, we play, you play is pretty good. We play, you play. That's we play, okay, you great. play. Yeah. All right. Unless you had another pitch. Uh, no, sure. Felt like you're about fine. to land on something. We play, you play. We play, yeah. you play. This is our first we play, you play. Wow. We just and you came heard up it with here. it on you the air. It. We play, you play. Instead of preparing for this before we started recording, <laughs> we brainstormed live for all of you. <laughs> yeah. And you're sitting here in your car saying, these fucking dipshits. Yeah. <laughs> Wasting my time. Uh, so before we get into this first we play, you play, discussing Disco Elysium, a game that I have a lot of thoughts on and a lot of fondness for. First, let's talk about some video games we've been playing. Otherwise, it's what are you playing? What are you playing? Wow. <laughs> I was worried there. You woke him up. <laughs> Who dares disturb my slumber? I was jacking off in here. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? I'm jacking off in here. <laughs> I, yeah, I finished Death's Door, which I've talked about in the, pa- the past two episodes. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, I think it's it's just it's just fantastic. The boss fights are so fun. It's so charming. It, the 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 art style is is you know simple and and aesthetically pleasing. The music is great, and I've talked about the developer Acid Nerve before and talking about it being a small team. I didn't realize how small a team it is. There are all, there are more credited people on the game. Yeah, there, there are, you know other people who did work on it, but it's a two person team who created this gem. Two person team yeah. from Manchester. 
Uh, David Fenn, who is the composer who I've shouted out on previous episodes, who is, you know, it's it's a it's a great score for this game. It's a one that will go into my rotation of writing music. Uh, David Fenn uh, was also a producer, designer, and sound designer. He's one half of Acid Nerve. The other half is Mark Foster, who is the programmer, writer, des- uh, designer, and animator. And it, it's just like it's it's just a really impressive achievement from the from the two of these uh, gentlemen and the the rest of the team that worked with them. But here's one thing I will say: I, I played this on Game Pass. I played this on PC, and you know. It, it, PC gaming, I love, and I've been playing it, you know, I've been playing games on the PC probably for longer than any other platform, uh, going back to my dad's computer in the 80s, mm-hmm. but it it's all, it continues to be annoying, and, and like, even a game like this, I just encountered a bug that probably is just unique to my, to my rig, uh, where I was having controller disconnects during, you know, I, I was getting these, these massive frame drops, um, again, it's a pretty aesthetically simple game and, and it's not yeah. like it's, it's, it's like using a lot of horsepower, but I was getting these massive frame drops when there were a lot of effects on screen and then my controller was disconnecting. And as such, that would happen like during boss fights or during like, you know, escape sequences where there was a, a bunch of platforming that had to be strung together in a row to the point where I had to fucking wire my controller to get through the back end of this game. Uh, yuck. like a fucking loser. Yeah. Like a Sounds- freaking, uh, <laughs> What are you? Uh, uh, what year is it? Come on, Matt. Yeah. What? What is he? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What am I? A wire guy? Yeah, more like Nick Wired. There you go. <laughs> you know, Nick, with a with a gameplay experience like that, it sounds like you're also playing Final Fantasy First Soldier, the game that crashes anytime you run into another player in a battle royale. <laughs> It's uh, uh it's, it's like being a narcoleptic. Like I I'm running across the field, see somebody in my sights and then fall asleep and I wake up either alive or dead. That I mean, that seems like that shouldn't happen in a game like that at all. Yeah. Like that's yes. like the one thing that is supposed to be happening. I've heard uh, I've heard that it's iPad slash tablet uh, dependent. Oh, that on the phone. It oh, doesn't cra- crash a lot, but on iPads or. Or other ways, emulations, whatever, that it crashes a lot. That's annoying. It I, is. I, I think that, and and hey, that that also makes me think of the game we're discussing in We Play, You Play, which has some issues with some of its ports, which we'll get into. Uh, but but anyway, yeah, Death Store. That's a, a highly recommended on on Game Pass or whatever platform you got. You know, it's it's just a it's just a charming little Zelda like. And uh, with with really really tight, impressively tight combat, especially coming from such a small team. I, I'll, can I talk about something else that's that's also that's a lot less? Uh, I guess that might make people mad at me. What but... else you playing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I guess uh, I'll allow it, but watch yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll be careful. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean I, ha- I I'm a Peloton user. I'm uh-huh. a, I, it, this is uh-huh. this is the kind of discussion that makes me particularly self conscious about. The nature of this podcast, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, three people with disposable income talking about our purchases. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that said, I, I, I the Peloton I, I got while we were locked down during quarantine and I couldn't go to the gym and I really got into it and it is very gamified. And they released a new format in this past week called 
uh, Lane Break, which mm-hmm. is basically a rhythm game that's integrated into the Peloton. So instead of you know like you, you, what you're normally doing, which is you're watching you're watching Cody Rigsby. Uh, lead a class uh-huh. and you know like uh, like all right let me get some shout outs uh maga wine mom congratulations 500 <laughs> rides <laughs> q on grandpa 250 <laughs> rides keep rolling anyway so uh so like it, instead of an instructor motivating you which i do like it's like basically playing you know ddr or i'm more like guitar hero honestly it's like playing guitar hero yeah. on a bike and you're pedaling instead of you know playing with your toy guitar and it's very Rhythm Game 101, but I, it's super engaging. The thing that I'll say is when you combine gaming leaderboards, which this has, and people who are into fitness, it is the most competitive sect. And sure. the leaderboards are so obnoxious in terms of like like where you will finish in the leaderboard when you think you did a really good job. It's like, oh, wow, three stars. I got to be up there. Like, you know, top three top you know 70 percent you're like <laughs> like so many people did better than you wow uh, but it's but it's still it's just like it's fun it's a nice little mode that they integrated in there and i'm kind of just impressed by how well designed it is honestly it's just like really really polished which i, I would think would be more yeah. of a tacked on thing can i ask you something about it yeah does your monocle fog up when you get on the peloton you piece of shit <laughs> yeah i mean here's the thing the Peloton uh, little water like holder that it has, it's not very good for like champagne or like a little tin of caviar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's what mine's in the shop right now because I got t- caviar all in the grooves. Yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Man, I thought I was the only one who ate fish eggs while I was exercising. Just them up. <laughs> it's, just a, it's a quick way to get some, some of that sweet, sweet pro. You know, you got to get that in, pro in the morning. I, gotta. Yeah. I keep it in a circa 90s grocery bag, those old thin yeah. kind. Yeah. Loose at the bottom. Yeah. And I just like put the hole, I sort of like cut a hole in the corner of it and I squeeze it out like a like um, uh, cake icing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, Matt. Yeah. What are you playing? Uh, well, last week I mentioned, um, I've, I, I've stopped the cyberpunk um, uh, update because I'm just like too busy. Can't do it right now. We'll get back to it at some point. Um, I'm closing in on uh, finishing all the side quests in um, Pokemon Legends Arceus. And I don't know if like, this is like a side quest thing to me, which then plays into the game that I'm actually playing. Mm-hmm. I always end up saving the ones that are seem like the hardest ones to complete after, like that are like big collections. Like I have to like collect all these like, um, like the backpacks in Spider Man or something, or like when you have to go around the map and just like do the little collectathon, and it's the yeah. least fun <laughs> part 100%. of finishing any. Like, why did I save this part of it? I should have been chipping away at these as I went. And I did for the most part, but now it's just like, okay, now I got to find these things and there's not a real indication of where they are on the map. You kind of just have to see them. So it's like now I'm just sort of wandering the game trying to collect these things on the map. Uh, but I like to just kind of be in the environment anyway. But I did, I started maybe, what, I don't know, week and a half ago, two weeks ago at this point, um, Horizon Zero Dawn. Because I was like, maybe I'll finish it before Forbidden West comes out, which was, you know, Sisyphusian at best. That was, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, and I did finish it, though. I did finish it uh, before 
Elden Ring comes out, which is exciting. But mm-hmm. I, I I burned straight through the main story. I saw on the map, you know, in the in the world, you see people with green exclamation points that are like, "Hey, I have a side thing for you." I just be like, "I have no interest in talking to you right now." Yeah, I will right. not speak with you. No, absolutely not. There's still a million things on the map that I have to unlock. Uh, I almost got the big armor thing, like the like the there's like a quest. I was doing that one because I was like, oh, I'd like to have the cool armor. There's like a a, a hidden armor that you can mm-hmm. get that's like uh, really cool. Um, but I, I'm i like one power cell shy of that. And I was like, well, I'll just go into the final boss battle without it. And I did it. And it's a very cool game. I, I'm not like lukewarm on it. I really liked it. But like in terms of like... Like, I loved Ghost of Tsushima. I loved that mm-hmm. game. Like, as, like, a first-person, mm. or, or not first-person, uh, a single-player, um, open-world sort of game, I was sort of like, oh, like, Horizon was pretty good. It was, it yeah. was, really, it was really good, really fun. I liked the characters. Um, I like that, like, Lance Reddick is just, like, in it. <laughs> sure. Like, he, <laughs> I'm just like, wait, that's Lance Reddick. <laughs> it's like just his face <laughs> it's like, I, none of the other characters I think look like who, who their voice actor is but he's like I'm in this thing uh, He was, Silence was his character's name he was really cool um, I really liked the combat as well I liked um, switching the weapons and powering up the different weapons with like um, those like modifications you can do and stuff but I was also like I'm just going to run away from this thing you can ro- you can run away from anything mm-hmm. in that game. You don't have to fight the the robots. You can just kind of move along and just kind of keep going to the next thing or like fast travel if you're lucky. Like I would fast travel a lot. That's probably why I beat it so quick. Uh, I was like, I'm not gonna walk thir- three thousand three thousand steps. No way. I'm fast traveling to a campsite, baby. I'm I'm, I'm you- getting eight hundred steps within. Papa Dogger, did you yeah. do any of the um? I guess you would call them secondary dungeons where you would like find a hole in the ground and you'd go underneath the earth and fight robots down there. No, I did see. That's the thing too. I was like, I'm sure there's things in this game that I've like completely missed. Like, uh, just like from not, um, doing like my due diligence sort of like I, I was just like very story focused and as, Mm. but as a story, I think it's a fantastic story, a very cool world. Like, you know, it sucks. Like, it's not good. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't prefer that. But like, sure. as a, as a, like, as a world in a sci-fi game. Yeah. I think that was a very cool, um, I don't know, very inventive, very, very neat. I, I really liked it. I don't think I'd seen anything like that before. It was really, really, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's an I'm impressed you finished it. I didn't. I didn't finish it. Wow, it's an ex- excellent original IP world. Yes, like it's like it's a really it's a really robust and uh, and well developed backstory. Like when you drop in, you're like, I think it's this thing, but then you find out it's an entirely different thing. Yes, I've, I've read some criticism about indigenous appropriation in the game. Yes, I've read this as well, and I. <sighs> It's I I mean, I can't speak to it because I'm just like a dumb white lady, but like it it's it's compelling to me that it isn't just a story about it's set so far in the future that I can buy that 
all of these different civilizations are sort of reforming because it's, you know, there's sort of like an Aztec inspired civilization. There's like, you know, Plains Indians style civilization. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I can see, I can definitely see the indigenous appropriation side of things. Yeah. Particularly like um, the costumes and stuff too. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if costumes, armor and stuff. But as a thought experiment, like it's like, hmm, that could be a way that would ha- that we'd go post apocalypse. Probably, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did have, have you ever w- seen a Guy Pierce time machine. No, it's the it's the H. G. Wells time machine adaptation. Oh, maybe I did. Yeah, that, with Guy Pierce, it's it's terrible. But I think it was actually the, directed by like you know H. G. Wells's great grandson or something. There was some sort of familial connection. But the the conceit in that movie is so strained, which is that he gets to the far future. He gets to this apocalyptic world and uh, where humanity has has, a schism is formed between people who live above ground and those who live underground, uh, just like in the book. But the people above ground he can communicate with because they've learned English from reading signs. Like just like so, like in the apocalyptic future, yeah. like just like road signs and shit were just like still present, and so they like they learned how to read and they learned how to speak from that. But like, there's no like that. That's such a huge logical leap. Yeah, that you that's would see that, that you even yeah that's that that you would see these words and you'd be like, okay, th- uh, I know what an e sounds like. Yeah, and so yeah, I know no what way. you know. I, I I I see this this word yield, and I'm going to say yield in the same way, and I'm going to understand its context. And meaning, yeah, it's that, just uh, yeah. Hearing my girlfriend is a um, is a speech pathologist, and hearing that, I just know all the things that she, when we watch movies and stuff, she's like, "That's yeah. not how that works." Like that's not, like, um, she after after we did watch Arrival, though, she was like, "Oh, maybe I could do this as a job." <laughs> like, I could, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, communicate with aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, but uh, what like. Hearing that, I just was hearing her being like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one complaint about Horizons, and then I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll move off of it. It's too dark. Mm. Like, visually. Like, um, it was... Um, open like your I had to, eyes. You got to open your eyes and play a video Wait, game. what? <laughs> you got to open your eyes, but No. Yeah, that's not, no. Them. Nick, no. <laughs> that's not... No. Yeah, that's why I had to. I had to adjust the settings on my uh, TV and in within the game uh, quite a bit because I was just like I legitimately cannot see like what is what is happening on the screen. Uh, I heard that the new one is lit a little better, um, but I have that problem sort of across the board with HDR content. Mm -hmm. I got a new TV, you know, I got a 4K TV just at the start of pandemic. So it's, yeah. I know that it's not like that my television is out of date. Yeah. But I swear, like, when I play HDR content, everything is too dark. And I don't know if that's, like, hmm. a PlayStation problem or, yeah. like, but, like, every time I'm like, fucking, I can't see shit. I got to turn off HDR. I was like, I got to, I can basically see this entire circle that they think should be a little hidden, like, in the, <laughs> <laughs> right. I could see the whole thing. I'm very aware of where this circle is. Uh, that that is a thing where and and you know I know that was a that was a last gen game but like I wish that would just be like fixed across every like I wish that was just like you know like a a a check that you had to pass to get certified on a platform that like it's br- the brightness threshold or the gamma had to like go yeah. within the same threshold so that you just didn't have to adjust it game by game 
Um, and also something else too, real quick, is that I didn't. I guess I didn't know what kind of game. I knew it was an open world game, and I knew that they were um, robot animals and like creatures mm-hmm. and things like that. But I guess I didn't know that you could just straight up like murder people in this thing like just take an arrow to the forehead uh and i had no idea and i like loved it like i love because like that's the kind of like i don't know like in the last of us part two yeah uh, i was a big arrow guy i was like i'm just gonna shoot arrows at people like that's so fun, fun to me um mm-hmm. and it was very very satisfying to be like especially with like the precision arrows to then be like oh instinct headshot kill just like bam 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 just get a bunch of uh these cultists uh who um i thought were actually like interesting uh the whole thing was an, it was an interesting game it was it, I, I really liked it but yeah not 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 jumping up to um so like my all-time favorites but definitely sure. happy i played it yeah i'm i'm impressed because i i have such a and, and part of the reason i fell off of it is i just got overwhelmed but i i was like impressed by the by the world and the, and the gameplay but i i'm just impressed that your your focus that you were able to just like mainline it and just like get through the story because that's, that's like, a problem i i have i'm just always like ah, i got to do all this other shit that's sort of like what i'm trying to do now uh-huh. instead of instead of vacillate between a bunch of games sort of stick with one until it's done until it or it's until i'm at a point where i'm satisfied with its completion like mm. i'm not gonna 100 percent every single game that i'm playing but like if i beat right. the story roll credits sometimes that's enough for me then to move on to something else because like there's just so many games and there's not enough hours in the day there's too many too, too many, many games and, and more are coming yeah yeah more yeah heather what Tomorrow- are you playing what am I playing? Well, I've only been playing this week's game for the last week, Disco Elysium. Um, but in my brain, I'm playing Street Fighter VI, which was wow. announced. Um, there's been a lot of pushback about the logo. All we've seen so far is like a is like a a, a shot of Ryu, who is as massive as Zangief, like larger yes. than Zangief used to be in Street Fighter Two. And we've seen Axel, I think is his name, from Street Fighter V. And that's that's it. There's a, sort of a realistic plastic action figure style, not the 2D sprite animation that I was secretly hoping for. But the logo goes against, what is it, 25 years, 35 years? I don't know how fucking long Street Fighter's been out. At least 30, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like 30 years of tradition by tossing off the sort of like sticker stripped spray painted street fighter logo that has been used for every single game up until now. And now it looks like, I don't know, like what is that? What's the Jay-Z um, basketball team? What is it? The, the Knicks, right? The Nets? Yeah. Or, oh, the, no, not oh, the Knicks. No, the Nets, the Nets, the one the that Brooklyn they, Nets. they have like, they have like sort of like a stripped down Jay-Z's. black and black and white logo <laughs> like it looks modern and sporty and e-sporty and and kind of a kind of a bummer it looks like a, yeah. a san francisco municipal bus logo <laughs> <laughs> it's a hexagon with sf in it and and the thing i saw was that it was like a there's basically an adobe template that you can put like you can just put letters into and it will generate that. And so like people would just generated the Adobe stock uh, SF the, like the, the Street Fighter logo just generated the exact same thing from like an Adobe plugin or maybe it was wow. just a stock image. 
Well, it's it, the, the logo doesn't bode well for the attention to detail in the game itself. Yeah. But I'm still excited. I got my joystick ready. I'm ready to go. Do you but, have a favorite logo? Of all time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess of Street Fighter, not of across all of. I mean, uh, I guess the Shell oil logo is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Like it's kind good. of exceptional, like well, FedEx. <laughs> yeah. Raytheon has a good logo. With the arrows, the FedEx arrows. Yeah. You guys have seen that. Yeah. Um, of all the street. Well, so many of the Street Fighter logos are similar. Like yeah. Street Fighter 2 looks like the Street Fighter 3 Third Strike logo looks like the Street Fighter Five. You know, it, it's all kind of in the same family of logos. Uh, I guess of them, I would say Street Fighter Two, just because it's the original. Yeah, but, sure. But I mean, not Street Fighter Six, not that logo. That's for sure. It's yeah. What if you were like, I love the new one? After saying all that, <laughs> the new one is my absolute favorite. <laughs> uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter One. Basically, was just the Street Fighter Two logo without yeah. the two. So you know, yeah. it's been yeah for since the inception of the series. Yeah, very. It's a real, real strange um, direction to take the series, being that yeah. it's predicated on nostalgia. Like, if you don't care about the characters and where they've been, then why would you play Street Fighter? Like, why would you why would you pick it up in this day and age unless you had some kind of pre-existing emotional connection to all of the designs, the stories, the fighting, the systems, et cetera. Well, I think that's always the, that's the the calculation, right? Is that they are like, well, let's find a new, th- those people will come along anyway. We get them for free. Let's find a new audience who would respond to this, you know, weird fucking boring, generic looking logo. Uh, my favorite Lo- Street Fighter logo is Street Fighter the movie. Uh, the <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Chrome treatment. It's <laughs> great. Makes me think of Raul Lulia, R.I.P. R.I.P. I want you to, I want you, those of you at home, to know that when Nick says shit like that, he gets a Grinch smile that full curly cues around his <laughs> <Yeah>. cheeks. Guys, when are we when are we going? When are we starting? I'm it. so Let's excited to start talking about Disco Elysium, a role-playing game developed and published by I think it's Z Z A U M or Zaum. Uh it yeah, takes it's, it's place- apparently pronounced Zaum. Zaum. Which is Russian for from the mind or for the mind. Ah, well, look at you. Ready to go. Ready to That's you're right. fucking ready. You're locked and loaded. I'm very I'm so locked and loaded. Um, the game takes place in an alternate. <laughs> an alternate science fiction reality uh, where you play an amnesiac detective and you're solving a murder mystery. And that's that's the, the layout of the land for Disco Elysium. And I'm going to say right up top, guys. Mm hmm. This game is in my top 15, if not my top 10 games of all time. Wow. I, I'm I'm encouraged that you said that because this is a game that is so absent anything resembling traditional combat. And I know you are such a person who's fixated on combat, but it, it's something that's just so driven by story. And for me, this is like like after the first playthrough, which I I, fi- I finally got to this game last year, as we talked about on the podcast, and and played through it, and was like, oh man, man this is incredible. And 
with my second playthrough, which I'm which I'm uh, in the midst of in the in the back end of for this uh, this episode, and I'm, I'm going to finish after record, is like I'm that I I had the same sort of thing. It was like, oh, this is top ten of all time for me, easy. Like this is this is maybe top five, honestly, but it's definitely wow. in my top ten. It's an incredible game, experience. This game has been released from Microsoft Windows, Mac OS, PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five, St- Stadia, Stadia. 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 It's Stadia, and I don't think it exists anymore. Nintendo Switch, <laughs> Xbox One, and Xbox Series X slash S. And as Nick mentioned, it does not feature combat. It is a role-playing game where all of your interactions with the world are formed by making uh, emotional political choices and creating your character that you present to the world because you have amnesia. So you have like a blank slate in which to interact with people. And I think we all, the, the, the only stats you choose up top are like one of three major branches to, to begin your, your, your character build, right? What, what did you guys choose? You, you've got, yeah. So there, there's, there's four like kind of, Oh, it's four. There's, there's 24 skills and then there's four kind of umbrella stats, which encompass those 20, each have each cover govern six of those skills and uh, but there are three pre prefab builds you can pick in addition to you can also like pick your own. Um, but yeah, for my first playthrough, I went with the uh, the intellect. I went with the thinker uh, archetype, which is the one that leads really heavily into, you know, the uh, the, the brain power. And I, I, I does not have like much of a of a personality. And I was like, OK, that's me. Um, and uh, and is also like kind of physically, you know, not not as I, I think he, I think he's semi physical. I think his his his, phys, his physique is a little bit low, but his coordination is a little bit higher. But yeah, that that was my first build. Is that is that called the Inland Empire build, or is that a second no? I think it's build? it's the Thinker. The Inland Empire is like is one of your skills, and and I believe that the the personality focused build. Uh, you can pick Inland Empire by default is like your your primary skill. Like there's one skill that gets flagged that you get extra bonuses for. So it's like thinker, sensitive or physical. Yes. Yeah. Let me look up what these archetypes are actually called. There's uh, uh, yeah, thinker, Matt, sensitive uh, and physical. And then the I think the fourth is create your own. So there are there are three, I think. But the fourth is the uh, the create your own option. I picked. I believe I picked sensitive just because I was like, well, that's kind of just how I do. Uh, I'm kind of soft. <laughs> so back when I first played this game pre-pandemic, which I think I've talked about on the on the podcast before, that booting up Disco Elysium felt so much like a time and place that I was, that I could barely remember. It felt like loading up a dream. So, mm-hmm. Such an, a strange, surreal experience because I think I played it right before pandemic. Um, But knowing that last time I went with thinker, this time I went with physical and I didn't beat the game as a thinker. I got 25% of the way through before I got so frustrated with my Macintosh emulating windows in order to run the game that had not yet come out for Mac OS. Um, But this time I played physical and boy, oh boy, was that an experience! <laughs> it, it is. I will say, having having done uh, you know on my in the midst of my second playthrough now, uh, it's wild how different it feels. Yeah. to have a different build, and I, I for me, it's 
you know, I spent so much time in my previous playthrough. I spent I spent about 40 hours into it, read every book, did every side quest. And there's so much shit that I'm seeing for the first time in my new playthrough as a different build. Yeah, well, this this whole game was written and primarily designed by Robert Kurvitz, who is an Estonian novelist. Uh, he has one pre-existing novel called The Sacred and Terrible Air, which is not yet available in English, though there is a promised release, which is also in the same world as Disco Elysium. Yes. And from Wikipedia or some deep dive that I did, the book was a flop. It only sold a thousand copies and sort of uh, resulted in Robert Kurvitz going through a kind of alcoholic phase in his life. Yes. Um, which then he came out of in part by developing this game as a tabletop experience, considering it as a novel, and then finally turning it into a video game. And you're right about the amount of writing that's in the game. According to Wikipedia, there's 1.2 million words inside of Disco Elysium. Like, it is... Whoa. It is a lot of words. Massive. It is so dense. It is... I mean, it really feels... I, I, I don't think I've ever played a game that feels as much like I am reading a book. Not in the way that I am interacting with the game, but in the, like, totality of, of the world building. Like, this yeah. is a game where, like, by the end of the game, you're, like, absolutely familiar with the history of Revishal. Like, yes. <laughs> like, that's a feat, you know, like it's so it's so thoroughly constructed. It's so I'm sorry. Finish your thought. Well, I, and also I feel like the the story is dependent on a political understanding of the world. Like in order to understand the motivations and and identities of all of these side characters, you have to understand the history of Martinez and 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 all the rest of the like fucking countryside, like all of it. Yes. It, it's a, it's such a thoroughly considered a bit of world building. And it's also the kind of thing of like so often in world building, even in fantasy and sci-fi, maybe especially in fantasy and sci-fi where it's a completely different world. You can just still see so easily just track the real world like at, you know, like, oh, OK, this is this alien species is supposed to be this culture that exists on Earth. Right. This, you know, uh, this this figure is just supposed to be this this uh, supposed to be Howard Hughes. Like, right. it's just like you can so easily one to one. It's not really the case here. There, there are, there's not as clean of a there. There are things that are analogous to world history, but there are yeah. other things where it's just like, wow, this is like feels like a complete invention. Like, for example, there is the. uh one of the main characters, Klasia, uh, comes from or hails from the, the country of Aranya, uh, which is the, Holland, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, uh, is the country of Orange. And they call it that like so. So you can kind of graft Dutch identity onto Aranya and, and, and that history. But it's not one to one. It's not like. You're not being like, oh, this is just another name for the Dutch. Yeah, or like like Seol, which is like a a, a S E O L in the game, which seems to be like so, like analogous for I, I would assume Korea, like Seoul, Korea. Yeah. But but like even there, it's like it's it's not like oh, this is a this is just 
these are just Korean specifics transposed into some some alternate reality. I just 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 back on the development of this game. Like you you talked about Zome and you talked about Robert Kurvitz, who I've I've watched him. There's there's a there's a thing we should link. Uh, which is a there's a GameSpot audio logs interview uh, where he's talking about the thought catalog uh, feature. And it's just amazing to watch him talk. He just seems like a like a just a, a stone cold genius. But uh, and, you know, talking so fluidly in his second language and t- talking in English. And um, it's it's a uh, but but like, you know, Robert Kurvitz. It has conceived apparently this world, this 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 reality of Elysium since he was a teenager. And, you know, like, as you mentioned, had written it as a novel, but also Zaum, this collective in Estonia has like what like like at one point they were a band. It's such a wild like path yeah. towards developing this game. Like they 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 were a band, and then that didn't really work. And Robert Kurvitz writes a novel, and that doesn't really work. Uh, he the, another novelist, this very successful novelist, Kaur Kender, uh, has like kind of is this mentor, and you know gives them financial support, offers them the suggestion of like, why don't you just take this world and make this into a video game? And they just fucking do it. Uh, some other key figures in this: uh, Helen Hinpier was the lead writer of the Final Cut. Uh, the art director was Alexander Rostov, who is an old time friend of of Kurvitz. Uh, here's a little bit from this is from a Games Radar piece: The Making of Disco Elysium by, by Alex Wilshire. And 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 I know I'm dwelling on this the development a little bit, but it's like it's just so, one of those things where just such a fascinating series of events that leads to this this amazing you know, groundbreaking, completely innovative game that that it seems like had so many ways where it, so many ways where it almost just didn't happen. Yeah. And instead you're like deconstructing. OK, so we this is a masterpiece that has just shown up in the <laughs> yes. world. How the fuck? What? What? How, there was a band. There's yeah. a, there's an Estonian collective. What were you going to say, Nick? So here's the here's a quote from the Games Radar piece, uh, The Making of Disco Elysium. Uh I wasn't going to do a video game, says Kurvitz. I was thinking we'd failed in enough things, and I was just going to keep drinking. But Rostov, this is Alexander Rostov, the art director, jumped at the idea, so Kurvitz wrote a one-page synopsis which encapsulates what Disco Elysium has become in the four years since. So this is before they start developing. This is his his synopsis. AD&D meets 70s cop show in an original fantastic realist setting with swords, guns, and motor cars. Realized as an isometric CRPG, a modern advancement on the legendary Planescape Torment and Baldur's Gate. Massive reactive story, exploring a vast poverty-stricken ghetto. Deep strategic combat. Obviously, deep strategic combat was not a part of the final game, but the rest of that is pretty much what the what the design is. And he references Planescape Torment and Baldur's Gate, which, you know, I played those games back in the day, Planescape Torment, in my top five of all time. It, it, this is this it they they succeeded so well in replicating what those experiences were like absent the combat and iterating on this and 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 making this feel like a like a modern incarnation of that i mean just as a role playing experience it's it's amazing that they were able to have this, these lofty ambitions and then succeed basically on a lark basically i'm yeah. like fuck it let's try this and it worked yeah it, it's it, wild it, to me too how much of like the other things that he was planning to do, like just like the music and like the literature of like the stuff before the game is all sort of like represented in the game also though, too. Cause like you do meet those, like, I mean, we'll get to it later, but like you meet those guys who are like making music and stuff. And I'm like, I would, sh- I would assume that like, that's probably part of it too. Right. Hardcore. Like, yeah. Hardcore. Ultra mega hardcore. <laughs> Man, that guy rules. Egghead. Right. I think this is his name. Yeah. Yeah. He rocks. Uh, but it's just like it, this, I don't. We've played a, a few different point and click adventures. I wouldn't say that this is like a point and click adventure. Um, 
you know, uh, to the T necessarily, right? There's other sure. things it has going to it. You're, uh, but, and I don't typically like those. I immediately was like, I love clicking in this thing. I had never played one with like a mouse and keyboard before, really. So I played this on my Mac and I was like, just having the time of my life clicking around, doing stuff like that. And also I hadn't played Baldur's Gate or uh, Planescape Torment. I've not played very many games like this. Isometric, mm -hmm. Nick, your favorite yeah. angle. Love uh, angle. Love that angle. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know, I someone who's played um, like Dungeons and Dragons before, I was sort of like, oh, this game is sort of like how like I would like to play Dungeons and Dragons, just sort of from like, I'm going to say something crazy, like instead of yes. uh, like really just going for whatever the story is. And like, obviously the story is still there and it, it has to adapt to your, your whatever thing you want to say or whatever. But it's, uh, I was just blown away by it. Yeah, I, that, I, that the, the, the game challenges you to or the game encourages you to say wild stuff and then uh, is also like, hey, you're a cop. So people will just go along with whatever you say, even yeah. if it's insane. And like that, that in of itself gives you kind of liberty to, to make those choices, which is which is so fun. But that being said, you don't have to make crazy choices. No, no in those dialogue trees, there's like straightforward options. There are uh, there's versions where you can just say nothing a lot and be really stoic. Uh, but the game sort of catalogs your choices and people start to respond to you with a knowledge of your identity. So like I <laughs> the first time I played like a real like sorry, nervous thinker. And this time, because I went physical build, I leaned into fascism. Sure. I was like, I'm going to play a fucking fascist cop solving these crimes. And like, even to the debt, like there's two health systems in the game. There's your physical health and your more, your morale. morale. Yeah. And I had a ton of physical health starting the game and only two morale slots. And in order to keep pushing my sort of political agenda in the game, I would constantly take a hit to my mor morale. Like every dialogue tree, I choose the worst option available. <laughs> the most racist, horrendous option. And as the game progressed, you're, you're partnered up with, with a character named uh, Kim Kitsuragi. Kitsuragi. And he, he's, he's from Seoul, uh, and was born in Rev Revachol to Seoul parents, right? And yeah. so all of my, all of my political racism and, po and political fascism would make Kim sad and, mm -hmm. and uncomfortable yeah. and then eventually angry at me. Uh, and there was an interaction I had with Kim later in the game, which we'll get to, where he yelled at me and I felt, terrible like yeah. me heather yeah. on my couch was like i mean the dude is totally fucking right like this <sighs> is a monster like he's a terrible person there, um, there's um that that is that is what the game is great at at evoking is, is making you as as the player character feel like things that the uh, making you sorry as the player feel th things that the player character is is feeling or would be going through in his head i had a similar interaction which is there's a character just called racist lorry driver who just says like the worst fucking shit and like says racist shit directly to your partner uh kim kitsuragi and it's also interesting just how the game handles racism and it's just like it would be a lot more 
it would seem a lot harsher and a lot harder to process. And you probably have, a, a, a an, unless you were truly a psychopath, have a much tougher time making the fascist sort of choices if this if these were real world races and real world countries, you know, yeah, uh, but because but beca- it, it because it takes this liberty in creating this invented world, it's kind of like I don't know, you, you, I, I think it, it just kind of buys itself a little bit more leeway there. But there's this racist lorry driver who says shitty stuff to your partner, and I went to this point where I was trying to get information from him because of a quest, and also my current playthrough I'm playing as a as a more of a as a moralist, which is like the centrist f- philosophy, which seems like to me the most chaotic of all of them it's just like 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 being a centrist in this world is just absolutely insane and which also has made probably a comment on being a centrist in our current world is absolutely insane yeah um and uh but but i but i was going through this dialogue and he's saying shitty stuff and i just sort of let him keep talking and then it comes to a point where you can make a decision to either say like i agree with you racism is good or go fuck yourself you fucking you know uh you fucking racist and that or you can also just kind of bail out of it and be like well whatever you know people can differ but uh let's talk about something else and i went for that option and then so one of your skills chimes in this is part of your internal monologue and just sort of goes through and says like you let him keep talking and say all that garbage, and then when the co- the time came to make a decision, you didn't make one. Weak. And it's just like, yeah, that was fucking weak. I felt like shit. That that racist lorry driver was like best friends with my. <laughs> like uh, they were. He hated I'm not me. kidding. Like yeah, <laughs> they were swapping jokes. Like there's a point where you can break where you break into somebody's apartment looking for clues and you find this old racist paraphernalia in this guy's apartment. Mm-hmm. And my had an option to show that racist lorry driver the shit that I stole. And they laughed about it in front of Kim. And as the player, I was like, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. This is an awful feeling, but it's it it's testament to how dynamic the world is and how dynamic the playthrough styles can be that like I in any other I I, the first time I I played the game and I was offered like a racist slash fascist uh dialogue option I think with Measurehead who's like a bodyguard uh in the um there's the 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 background for the game is that the this murder has happened uh underneath the umbrella of sort of a workers strike in Revishal, which is the 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 country, and Martinez is the city, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a t- there's a huge cast of characters, all of whom are angling for like control of this port city and the imports and the takeover of a of a, of a, a manufacturing and distribution hub. Um, and one of the guys who's working for the union is named Measurehead, and he is a uh, a. a what we, like he's just a racist. Like he's just he's a like full a full on fascist. Yeah. He's a t- full on fascist. And the first time I played, it was like, you, you get these thought bubbles where it's like, oof, I don't know if I want to buy into this shit. And, and you can choose not to have the thoughts that lead you down certain character or archetype paths. And the first time I played, I was like, yeah, I'm not fucking, I'm not agreeing with this dude. And this time I was like, absolutely a hundred percent. And then you get <laughs> sent on like, like a slew of side quests as a result of that choice. And it locks you out of other side quests that are probably more emotional. 
It, it's uh so the measure head is a you know he, he's like this physical specimen he's this really buff uh Seminese guy which is what you know another of the ethnicities in this fictional world and he's covered with tattoos obviously the name measure head a reference to uh, the discredited race science of phrenology um he's got like tattoos to show his perfect body and show his perfect skull shape and also just like I think it just sort of speaks to the quality of writing but also just sort of like what how weird this world is where you got the racist lorry driver who's kind of like the, you know, more uh, like like a dumb racist. Not that any racist is smart, but this is like yes. the the he's Measurehead is like the educated version. The guy who's like got into race science and has, uh, you know, is has has all these or sort of intellectual uh, bona fides to support his existing uh, irrational biases. I fucking hate that character. He's so fucking awful. And yeah. like, I mean, like he's a great, he's an extremely well-written character, but he's so like, I fucking hate this guy. I hate that he's this big burly guy who, you know, is, is smarter than you and also like racist and, uh, and also more physically dominant than you. And then literally has a woman called Measurehead's babe who's standing nearby just being like, no one's better than Measurehead. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like every part of it is so obnoxious, but great. But in my first playthrough, I was a communist, and in order to get past this guy, you have to either, like, kick his ass or you have to, uh, like, accept race science and think about it, put that into your thought catalog and go back and be like, all right, I've kind of embraced your worldview to get him to go along with you. I had to be so subservient to Measurehead in my previous communist playthrough because my character was just physically weak. And so I, I I had to like ascribe to race science, even though my character it, it violated my character's uh, political principles. I had to like you know <laughs> get him to let me in because you have to get past this gate, and then I had to get his help to get the body down because you know like as you have mentioned, Heather, it's it's yeah. a it's a murder mystery. There's a there's a guy a, there's a corpse hanging from a tree. Uh, when the game begins and it's a certain point, you need to get that body down. And I just like my character couldn't do it, so I had to get Measurehead to help me. And then, but versus in this playthrough, I just knocked him out. And it was so satisfying to just yeah. like kick this guy's ass <laughs> well, versus like having to like, you know, be be such a supplicant previously. I, I, I think this part of the game happened, it happens early on in the game. And I was pretty early I was, on. Yeah. I was still sort of getting my footing. I somehow did both things. I subscribed <laughs> to the theory of advanced, as, as I subscribed to advanced race theory from talking to him. Uh, yeah. I was just sort of like, I'll listen to this guy. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and then I also knocked him out. <laughs> like I did both. <laughs> so I want to, I think. I want to talk about two things. I think we yeah. need to talk about the plot at some point. So we're going to have to enter yeah. spoiler country, which I know you guys got your horses ready. Clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, clip clop. Yeehaw! Okay. But I also want to talk about, because we've talked about the character build, like identity system of the game, I want to talk about the um, breakdowns of our characters that we all received before the end of the game, like our, our last save. Yeah, and yeah. how different they are and what they mean. So the first uh, the first category is superstar cop, like how much of a superstar cop you are. This comes from like all these dialogue trees where you're like <laughs> giving finger guns to people and like fucking wearing sunglasses, telling people to party, maybe encouraging drug use. Uh, like that's one of the systems. Now, uh, I think I let me make sure. Yeah, so Nick, you've got three. Uh, Matt, you've got nine. And I have nine. Like, none of us 
not particularly superstars. Yeah. We're better than Nick, but not, you know, who's counting? Yeah. But Apocalypse Cop is the next Oh, <laughs> is the next dialogue <laughs> option. Nick, you've got two. Matt, you've got one. Heather has 11. And that's, <laughs> that's because every time I had the opportunity that, that, that I wasn't worried would derail my ability to interrogate or investigate, I would tell people that the world was about to end. Like there's... Yeah. <laughs> like, like when you introduce yourself, one of my dialogue options would be like, be like, I'm uh, Lieutenant Kitsuragi uh, and uh, this is my partner. And I'd be like, I am the wrath and the gloaming. And that would be like. <laughs> <laughs> you've got sorry cop is next. That's how many times you've just apologized. Nick, you have nine. Uh, Matt, you have eight. Heather has six. Uh, boring cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nick scoring the highest again with nine. Yes. <laughs> Matt with seven. Heather with five. Now we get to communist. Like these are your 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 four categories are communist, fascist, ultra liberal, ultra liberal, or moralist. Yes. Yeah, so you have a copo type, which is what type of cop you are, and then you have a political leaning, which is you know pretty obvious. Right. And Nick, you've got for communist, you've got fifty four. Right. Uh, Matt, you've got 26 and Heather has seven. The next category, fascist. Nick, you've got three. You made three fascist choices. Uh, Matt, you've got three. Heather has 32 on the fascism <laughs> scale. <laughs> well, yeah, you really leaned in. <laughs> I really I leaned in. Uh, ultra liberal. Nick, you've got three. Matt, you've got 12. Yikes. Uh, Heather has seven. And then moralist is sort of like the centrist option. And on Nick, your first playthrough, you've got a two. Matt, mm -hmm. you've got an eight. And <laughs> I've got a five. Um, I don't know how the next system worked, which is yeah, good I cop, bad cop. So what's I this? I think we can just kind of probably just keep it at the capo type and your politics because I think oh, those okay, are the great. main ones. The re the rest of the stats are kind of yeah, you know, like like cases solved and and years in service, like that sort of stuff. I don't know how mutable that is. Well, the uh, next but, but the next one was so mutable. You had twenty nine and I had three. Yeah, so good cop, bad cop, and then honor. Like I think that it's I, I don't know if that if good cop, bad cop goes goes up or down based on how many bad cop choices you make. I, mm. I think that might also be just like how much Kim likes you, but I but I, mm. I didn't look up exactly what that stat mm. meant. Uh, regardless, I I will say that so I my character was the for this first playthrough I and I think I mentioned on the podcast when I was playing it, <clears throat> uh, I just kind of played at role played as me. So like the first <laughs> thing I got was was the first copo type thing prompt I got was that, that I was a boring cop. And I was like, okay, yeah, I've made, I made all the boring, safe choices. And then communists, I was just like, yeah, I'll just go with my actual politics and became a super commie. Uh, it's it's funny because I think Kurvitz is actually, you know, he has a bust of Lenin on his desk, apparently. Like he seems to be, you know, have some sort of communist leanings. Uh, but the, the, the game is very like, it just keeps talking about how communism is a failure and like all you keep doing is failing and failing and like also killing some people along the way. So it it, it seems to be, you know, kind of self-aware of of where the of at least how the the the, the political system is perceived. You, I, I guess like what did, what did you what did you sense politically? 
I mean, Heather, you talked about uh, your experience. Matt, it seemed like you you leaned a little bit more ultra lib. Yeah. Uh, what was your experience of the politics of this game? I, I I guess I was just sort of like confused because I mean, <laughs> only because like I, I you know I have like a sort of a, a sense of how like. I feel about things in the real world, right? Like I would, I'd say I identify as like a liberal person. Um, but the, in the game, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one is good and which one is bad here necessarily. Like, cause sure. like I, I was confused even by like, I think when I went down the advanced race theory measure with measure head, I was like, Oh, like he's like educating me. And then I was like, Oh wait, no, he's racist. <laughs> he's like, I was like, Oh, my character's like a white cop. He's going to take some time, you know, to listen to this man. And he was like, Oh wait, no, but this character's racist. What's what's what yeah. actually is the thing here. So I think I was just a little confused. I, I did sort of start to lean more toward the communist choices because those seemed clearer to me. Um, like at a certain point, like, um, cause then you can, you can also have like, um, we, there's like, there's just like, I feel like there's like, there's quite a few, like just very straightforward communist options. Uh, and it would also, that would net me money sometimes if I made that choice, I would get, well, I would get money. Uh, I think that, that, I think that's the ultra liberal choice. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's what a, that was. Yeah. Cause, cho- cause if you talk to Joyce Messe, yeah. uh, who is the, the company's rep in the union struggle, yeah. she, she can, you can, you can get this, this ultra liberal, um, element in your thought catalog that will every time you pick an ultra liberal option, you'll get like a you know a, a, a certain amount of real, which is the game's currency. And I, I guess wow. too that like I I often would sort of then try to make the choice that I think I would make, and then uh-huh. it would just be like you know I think I think um, the uh, whatever like if I was talking to the union guy, I think that the laborers own the business as well. Like and they're like yes. okay, so yeah, that's a communist choice. Um, or, you know, things like that. But then also I would guess I would pick like sort of things that were maybe not political. Like my, my first, the first build that I picked, the first thing I added to my thought cabinet was hobo cop. Like I, so I was just like, so sometimes I get a lot of stuff like that. Like he's like, I sleep in a dumpster, like that kind of, like that kind of stuff. Uh, but I didn't unlock that many things in my thought cabinet though. I think I, 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 that's something I'd like to do in a further playthrough is like expand that a little more because yeah, I have in there, like I'm looking at it right now. I have uh advanced race theory, hobo cop, uh, Mesovian socioeconomics. Uh, and then I have the one for the monster, uh, Cole de mama Dakwa, uh, and then indirect modes of taxation. So that's like a pretty, like, um, I think that one is the communist one. Um, but otherwise, no, I think that's the ultra liberal one. Hmm, I don't uh, know. What's I- what? <laughs> I I expand so you have like uh, the ability to level oh, yeah, up yes. individual characteristics and you also have the ability to expand your thought tree yes. which is mm-hmm. essentially your skill set and I think I went all the way up to the top row wow. of thoughts because yeah. I I enjoyed before you unlock a thought you don't know what the bonuses are going to be and I thought it was really fascinating so like my my Harry, one of his thoughts is the homosexual underground because I kept flirting with this uh, this gay dude in his apartment and um, because all fascists are gay. This was my <laughs> my sort of my thinking on it was like, you know, sure. a, a higher level Nazi members were all like gay dudes. Yeah. Um, and there are no bonuses from unlocking that thought. You think about it for <laughs> eight hours and then you decide that you are 
uh, cool with the homosexual underground and maybe a homosexual yourself, the only discernible bonus from from taking up that slot with that thought is that you find out that your partner is gay, oh. which was mind blowing. Like Kitsuragi is a gay dude, and it was great. I didn't know that. Um, that being said, my character was such a fascist. That he repeatedly said the F word. Oh, no. Yeah. In dialogue trees. It was so, it's like. Wild. Woof. <laughs> That's sort of what confused me, too. <laughs> Only because there would be things like that. And sometimes it would be, you know, it's like, blur, it's um, like, blur, not blurred out, but like, uh, like censored, I guess. Uh, for some like, of it. You'll, you'll hear like a little static sound over where yeah, uh, where the slur would have been. And I, and I swear that wasn't in the original build. I swear they were all saying the word in the original Disco Elysium. And yeah, then of, it was So they blurred. released the final cut in 2020 and I think they probably, they may have censored it then. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, um, I feel like their character saying this kind of stuff, but this character is like a good guy. And he said it. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, it's... It's, you know, it feels like I got the sense that this game was politically incorrect uh, in that, you know, there are um, there are conversations with characters about sexual assault that are not played like sensitively. No, there are conversations and uh, slurs about homosexuality. It's racist. It's you can choose to be sexist. You like yeah. there, there is like a, a a really expansive ugliness to the game that feels like if you took 90s sensibility in science fiction writing and then dropped it into a modern day video game, that this is something that you might get like oh, I, <laughs> it, it made me uncomfortable at times. Well, yeah. well, I, I think I think that's the the what's what's amazing is that 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 it takes these huge swings and is so like, especially with how so many people perceive like like I feel like that the the modern discourse involves taking things at a surface level, right? It's like yeah. so much of that is just like, oh, a character in in this work is racist. That means the work itself is racist. You know what I mean? Like they like that and. That this game is just sort of like, like, fuck it, just they kind of do whatever um, and that they haven't invited that sort of backlash or at least as as far as I've seen it. It's it's kind of just shows what an impressive job they did at putting it all together, because, yes, one of the first characters you meet, who's a very funny character who Heather, I, like you told me you liked the care, the character, which I was like, <laughs> this this kid sucks, uh, but he's funny. But this kid, Kuno, is God. one of the first characters you meet. He is out back throwing rocks at the corpse that is hanging from a tree. And he says the says the F slur like like basically almost immediately. I think calls your the player character that um, when you try to like if you try to confront him or his or a Kunois, who is maybe his his sister or his friend, female friend who's behind the fence. They're like they're like, he's trying to rape me. And they just say it. Yeah. You know, and um, it's it's like that stuff is very out front with probably most likely in the first hour of gameplay. And so, you know, you you get what you're in for, but it's just presented baldly. It's not like anything where it's just like you're you're eased into it. It's just out there. I don't know if this is the a play, the player experience for everybody, but I was brutal in front of Kuno and he thought it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to then empathize with him, which Did you punch was him? I never punched Kuno. Okay, I punched him. 
but I, I did try and shoot and kill his female friend. Oh my God. <laughs> I couldn't. The, Kuno got the best of me every single time. This fucking kid. Yeah. He, he made me seem like such a, like a loser. Like I, every time I could not, I think I, yeah, I finished the game without getting, um, like I didn't, I didn't finish his side quest. I finished a lot of the side quests in this game. I spent 40 hours, a little over 40 hours in this thing. Wow. Um, and I think his side quest is like one, like truly like one of the ones I haven't done. There's like very few things I haven't done in the game and I could not get Kuno on my side. At I, all. I, I broke into Kuno's apartment, threatened his father and mm-hmm. then uh, stole drugs from his father and taunted his father with the drugs that I had stolen. No, oh my Returned gosh. to Kuno, gave Kuno half the drugs so that we could start a business. And then um, when I was attempting to remove the body from the tree, my partner, Kim, gives me his gun. And you can go to shoot the rope or the belt that's keeping the corpse in the tree but it gave me the option to turn the gun on his female friend. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) And I tried to shoot her. Yeah. Missed. And then she made fun of me, but she was terrified of me from that point forward. It was, I, there's nothing like it. I don't know how I, I feel like the, the excitement that I feel after a great game of Dungeons and Dragons where you're just like, oh, and then this happened and then this yeah. happened. And I was trying to convey these things to Mary, who has only seen or played maybe five minutes of the game. And she was like, every time you talk about this game, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's like describing an improv show. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what? Oh, yeah. but, and then the president showed up. Yeah, in, in the third, <laughs> like okay, sure, sounds sounds good. All the third pay- beats were connected on the moon. Uh huh. Cool. <laughs> and you paid money to like do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so S- the I, I was gonna say I think I think my I'm pretty sure my my on my first playthrough my character uh cried in front of Kuno because I yeah. just got so emotionally <laughs> devastated. I every time yeah my character would cry a bit. My character I was a sort of a sorry cop as well. Uh-huh. Um, and every time I took a morale hit in the game, I like did feel bad in real life. I would always be like, "Oof, yeah, that would hurt my feelings. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I'll also just, just real quick, just talking about the early game and talking about how just like this game presents like really, you know, Mitch or uh, Heather, you were talking about how, uh, uh, that this game like has like some like misogynistic stuff in it. Uh, edit out me accidentally saying Mitch. Yeah. Um, do yeah. not edit that out. Do not. Do not. Do not. Hold his ass mode. to the fire. <laughs> now I get to be sorry, podcaster. Yeah. I'm and sorry. I also, I also now know how Nick sees me. Which is, <laughs> I am his antagonist. <laughs> no, never. Uh, the uh, I love all my co-hosts. Anyway, I was going to say... <laughs> So, so in the early going, there's this character Gart, who is the the hotel manager, who's really obnoxious, who you know kind of has a little bit of a redemptive arc, which I think I can say without spoiling too much. But uh, you you meet him very early on, and there's a there's a character Sylvie who no longer works at the cafe that the hotel where you're staying. Um, and you're you're talking to Gart about it, and you're interrogating him. You end up being able to call Sylvie and connect with her over the 
We haven't even talked about like radio computers and the the fucking yeah. radio phones that exist in this game, which are so fucking inventive and weird and foreign. But anyway, so you end up talking with Sylvie over the the police radio in Kim's uh, police car and getting some context for why she left. On my first playthrough, I kind of white knighted it, and it was just like, oh, she left because. Uh, she was being harassed by Gart. And so I went up and confronted Gart and like made him mad and made him upset and made him feel bad about that. And then in this playthrough, I was just a complete piece of shit and was like, <laughs> I went up to him and I said like, look, man, the problem was still, so, uh, oh, I, I picked the love doctor arc, which I don't know if either, either you got the love doctor quest. Uh-huh. We basically get to go up to Gart and tell him uh, that the issue with Sylvie, the reason that she left the job is because she wants to ride the cock carousel. Yeah. And I like, that. Like, she's riding the <laughs> cock carousel. And you guys just so, gets to be so obnoxious. And you, and Gart, like, kind of like, you end up having this commiserating with him over this of just like, that's how women are, man. And then he gives you a bottle of wine. It's yeah. like, man, man, this is fucking my, wild. My interaction with Sylvie was so different. Like mm-hmm. she, she left the job because of me. In my version, oh, like, wow. w- when I call, when I call Sylvie, she's like, please don't ever call me again. I don't understand how you got this number. And it's like, so, so what happened? And she's like, you are a maniac and a monster. And you threatened me. You uh, like, she runs down this like litany of things that I've done to Sylvie and that, that I was the reason she left. Like she quits her job because of the, of Harry, which is, I thought that was going to be the same for everybody, but it, it, apparently it's not. My no, yeah. like, uh, yeah, my memory of my first playthrough is that she is that she blamed Gart, or it may have been that just in in through talking through the uh, in having this conversation, that's what she said. You know what I mean? Like, because it's it's also like the char- what the characters are saying, talking to you as an authority figure, may not be what their actual you know. Truth is, so they may just be yeah. telling you what they think you want to hear, depending on a, a, a the context of the conversation. Yeah. Um, I, I'll I'll just talk about this real quick, which is uh, there, there's not as maybe like the best. This maybe isn't the best point to bring it up, but I, but I did want to get to it. Talking about the thought cabinet, uh, this is from that Gamespot audio logs interview with Robert Kurvitz, uh, which we'll link, which is a, a really great watch. Uh, but just uh, the way stuff is presented. Um, First off, it was a conscious decision to anchor the dialogue on the right side of the screen. And you kind of hear how thoughtful he is about the design perspective of just talking about like how most games have their dialogue as subtitles and like the bottom third of the screen. And that's just like, you know, your eyes are naturally drawn to where most people are right hand dominant. So your your eyes are naturally drawn to the right side because that's where your right hand is. And so that's why everything is kind of in a single column of text that just keeps going. Also talks about and you'll appreciate this, Heather that the text display was inspired by Twitter, where you just have this this column of endlessly scrolling text and some and some paraphrased uh, quotes about this. Uh, this is this isn't verbatim what he said, but the game needs to be very aggressive and confrontational to keep you engaged. That's kind of why it keeps, you know, it's it's intentionally harsh towards you, which he says is partly inspired by social media, how you, you stay engaged with what's going on in social media because it's so harsh and unpleasant. And then also similarly says people don't understand text unless they tell you tell them eight different ways. So in 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 the same sort of way of like, why, why you're hearing things coming from your inland empire and from your shivers and from your visual calculus. Oftentimes they're saying you this t- telling you the exact same thing in different ways. Uh, just, to, but they're just variants of uh, ways to reiterate this without it becoming repetitive. That's I, amazing. 
Yeah. This the, also, did you read that the that the writer and designer only has a middle school education? Yeah, like, I don't know if that's like a is that a is, middle school education? Does that mean the same thing in the U.S. as it does in Estonia? I don't know. Well, it certainly doesn't mean like doctorate in philosophy, which right, is like yeah. what I would expect from somebody who created Disco Elysium. Like it yeah. is, yeah. it it's so staggering, and and we haven't even, we haven't talked about the plot. We haven't no. talked about like the 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 mechanism of the plot. We haven't talked about the art or the music. No, the art yes. in this game is painterly and like. Look, it, it it doesn't look like other games. No, it's it's gorgeous. I love it's it. It's fucking gorgeous. The first thing I did when I beat the game was cre- is set up my wallpaper on my computer to be Disco Elysium. Wow. Um, and then the music is by what? What's the name of the band? What's the name of the band? It's British Sea Power. Power. Um, and it is haunting. Uh, sort of like atmospheric music. I would love to play. My favorite track from uh, from the game, which is not indicative of the score on the whole, but is a song that I would. <laughs> it felt like melancholy and also nostalgic at the same time. This is the song that plays when you wake up in in the hotel whirling in rags or the hostel where you're staying and you head downstairs and you're interacting with your first set of characters. This is the song that's playing. love this track so much it might finally displace Katamari Damacy as my ringtone. Wow. Great track. Yeah, I, I actually pulled the 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 night version of this because a, a different one plays when you're at when you're at night, uh, which we let's don't have hear to play. That. It's very similar. Oh yeah, well, well why not? Let's play it. Yeah, let's hear let's hear the difference. This does feel like the nighttime. I mean, it is nighttime, but it's like yeah, this is this is being tucked into bed music. Yeah, just putting on your meditation app and catching <laughs> some catching some Z's. I'd like to ask. This is a pre-spoiler question. Hmm. I guess we'll have to enter spoiler country for it. You guys ready okay. to enter spoiler country? Yeah. Everyone, fasten your seatbelts. Strap on your hats. Hold on to your glasses. If you got a shoulder bag, make sure that's fastened securely. If you got a backpack, stow that safely under your seat. A purse, same drill. Maybe you got a wallet. Well, make sure it's fastened with a chain or put into a pocket that's got a button or maybe a, a zipper, ideally. Hey, if you got some loose change in your pockets, might want to empty it. And hey, if you got yourself a beverage, make sure it's got a lid. Because you're about to enter spoiler country. Yeehaw! You gotta ask yourself a question. Do you feel like spoiling? Well, do you, punk? Do you feel like entering spoiler country? Hey, if, if, you you've, got got, yourself if a tr- you've got if you got milk, leave it in the sun. Then drink it. <laughs> Spoiler country. <laughs> I, 
I just want sorry, I just I just want to be hyper clear here that like this is this is for anyone who's played this game and and is not at this point. This is like end game spoiler shit. So let's we can maybe insert Matt like this is a a, a, a timestamp for when we'll be on the other side of that. Yeah. Uh. But but yeah, we're we're really getting into the end game here. So if you haven't finished the game, you might want to skip this next section unless you don't care. Yeah. Let's just say uh. Thanos is about to do a little snapping, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like there's a trope in games now where there is one vocal track in a game that happens at a meaningful moment. And I'm wondering, because our play styles were so different, what did you guys, one, hear the vocal track, and two, how did you hear it? Was it ambient or was it something being produced by one of the player characters? Or, I'm sorry, one of the characters. No, I I, I heard it. I heard the track, and but, it was it was the the music was being played on the boat as we were yes. dry, as we were flying as we were. Uh, so Harry in, Harry is holding in. a boombox in yeah. your versions. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, that's all. That's the look. I I didn't know how divergent that moment was. Um, I think you can not get the boombox right. Like you can not acquire it. So maybe if you don't get the the tape player from the pawn shop, yeah, then. Maybe that doesn't happen. I don't know. Did you guys sing karaoke? Yes. Yes. Excellent Great moment. moment. Excellent moment. Um, I would like to play for you because we've talked about the relationships between these characters. And I know this is all scatterbrained spoiler country shit. Um, because I was such a terrible person in my playthrough, there was a moment where finally Kim broke down and, and sort of yelled at me. And it broke my heart on the couch. Like I have not (laughs) felt worse. So um, in order to track down a clue, you end up calling Kim's favorite radio station in order to talk to a DJ because you are trying to figure out how a sonic distribution system in a, uh, could have been used in order to lead you to a clue, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so you have to try and figure out how this song was played for characters who heard it. Um, And I call up the radio station and I say a bunch of fascist shit. And then I drop (laughs) Kim's name (laughs) and ask for a shout out. And this is the dialogue that happens uh, in that moment. Okay. About that call. Let's start from the top. You humiliated me. I don't care what your political beliefs are, but you painted me with the same brush, publicly. I have been defamed over live radio. That has never happened to me before, and it never will again. If you ever dare do anything like that again, even close to it, I will have you sanctioned. That was abhorrent. I... I... (laughs) I couldn't... I couldn't believe it. And that's because right before that moment happens, the radio guy shouts out like, I fucking hate fascists and these fascists and then drops Kim's name. And and he's like mortified because this is his favorite radio station. Yeah, that's so funny. Like hearing Kim talk to me like that. I was like, that's one of my like five sorries was like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. Like I'm, I, yeah. I don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry. Cause like I wasn't that made apologizing. Me sad. It made me feel awful. And that's such a great 
I like video games really do something different than movies and books because it's your a, a great video game, at least because it's your choices that are making you feel the way you feel. Right. Right. Like I'll get engrossed in a book and I'll feel terrible because I'm projecting myself into the protagonist. But like it's not because of what I did. Whereas in this game, like people would be upset at me or tell me I was a monster or a horrible person. And it was because I chose to be a terrible fucking person to yeah. them. It, like, it's also like, it, it's, you know, we're so used to choice in games being this binary good evil of just like, you know, uh, whatever. Um, sure, I'll help. Uh, sure, I'll help your village. I, I love everyone or uh, uh, you can all burn as far as I care. I, I serve the Dark Lord. You know what I mean? It's it's like kind yeah. of like you've got you've got a good or bad. That's that's very, very clear in here. It's like not that it's not that it's ambiguous. It's usually pretty, pretty clear where your particular biases are. But because you have like, you know, all these different ways where you can develop your character, it it, it really adds some depth to it. And it feels like actual consequence. It doesn't feel like the illusion of choice. It feels like you're actually making choices that change the outcome of the game. And they do. Or maybe not the ultimate outcome of the game, but but the way your character develops. I also, I hated it. There, I have a snapshot of dialogue where Kim flat out says, you are brutal and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, disappointing but- Kim throughout the game Uh didn't always make me feel bad. I always was like, I gotta, I'm gonna try to get Kim on my uh, on my good side, and I, I'm happy to say, by the end of my playthrough, that I did. Yeah, I got, I, I, I was super like pro Kim and and doing everything to please Kim on on my first playthrough, and I'm trying to do that on this this current playthrough, but I'm I'm not succeeding. Uh, <laughs> I'm disappointing him harshly. But the but but like yeah, the the it's it's such a great character. Uh, it, be, it, it it's like one of my favorite NPCs and one of the best party members ever. And it, it's just sort of like that you have such a stable presence who yeah. also is so calm and, and so, you know, intellectually engaged and present is so is helpful because however you play your character, however erratic you choose to make the player character, he'll always just ground things. So like, just, I just like talking to a random you know, truck driver at a certain point, a random lorry driver. I think. I, I think I chose the dialogue option of uh, of of yeah, you're in deep shit. You know, you're you're under you're under arrest for murder. And then him just sort of like chiming in is like, you're not actually under arrest for murder. We just have some questions for you. You know, like, yeah. like there's there's just like kind of like a stabilizing presence throughout uh, in terms of sort of resetting things, no matter how divergent uh, your your actual dialogue chop, uh, options are. There is a. For, well, okay, we haven't talked about how good the voice acting is. The voice, Great acting, voice is acting is fucking phenomenal Fantastic. all the way through. Um, there is a a meta character that you meet, or that maybe you don't meet, maybe you you can meet, who is a role playing game designer and dice maker. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, who's in an, in an abandoned facility making custom made dice for a company that makes role playing games. And she comments on role-playing games, and I have it, I have a screenshot here, um, where she says, 
That's why people like role-playing games. You can be whoever you want to be. You can try again. Still, there's something inherently violent even about dice rolls. It's like every time you cast a die, something disappears, some alternative ending or an entirely different world. And usually in role-playing games, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like most yes. of the time you can see everything. But like we had three wildly different playing experiences. The game has so much replay value. I want to go back and play Disco Elysium again. Yes. In part so I can be kinder to Kim. Like I could not (laughs) fucking stand being mean to that dude. Yeah. And they're also like, I mean, this was one of my only complaints about the game is that if you want to replay the game, if you want to go back and um, do some of the things that you like couldn't do or like, that you missed before you get to the end game you do have to sort of start an entirely new game because once you get i mean to the like end little point over there you cannot go back to yeah. um to the mainland you're on that little island still yeah but but also even if you have a save yeah. from before that it's still like there there's just there there reaches a certain point in the narrative and also your character's archetype is so anchored you know yeah. that 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 yeah really really it, it requires i think more than one playthrough to see everything i will say that like my first playthrough i i you know i did the thinker and i think your your flagged um skill for that is encyclopedia uh maybe it's logic but like yeah i was just getting so much like intellect stuff i was getting so much context for the world and i'd read some people say that like shivers is a really good skill and shivers is basically like you know, good, good in the sense of what dialogue you're getting, not good in the sense of of making the gameplay uh, easier I had or, or harder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but shivers, but like, but like, you know, I flag shivers as my skill and put points into that, and that one's really like it's just giving me a completely different feel to the gameplay. Like, just like you, you all of a sudden you'll get like a just a just a a sense of the weather and what that means for where what every everything that's going on in the city. And it's it's completely different than what I got in a, on, on another playthrough. If anything, Matt, to your criticism, I would say that maybe mm-hmm. it would be nice if the game, I don't know, either. I, I, it's 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 weird even to offer this criticism, but like it would be nice if you could see more of the game in one playthrough, yes. considering what a time commitment it is to even get through this game once. So I yes. guess if you had maybe more skill points so you could see more of these dialogue options. But then again, that would also so- totally disrupt the flow of everything. So who fucking knows? Because I, I guess I'm like, I, I couldn't get what there's like some doors you can't open. You yes. have to roll. You have to put uh more. um points in in a certain stat to then re-roll on like kicking open a door and i'm just sort of like i think i had the stat for it like as soon as i got to the island like i could have done it again and gotten a positive roll i wish i could go back and open that door before i come back and actually finish the game like that's the kind of stuff that that not not necessarily like overarching kind of thing Mm -hmm. i'm like i just want to see what was in this hit this hidden passage i didn't get to go into if you Uh, if you if you play a a maniac thug there is no door that stay stands in your way (laughs) yes well that's the thing i'm like excited to replay it again too because i mean that well we haven't really talked about like the overall story, but like we're 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 doing pretty good right now in terms of like, I mean, timing wise, you know what I mean. Well, I want I, wanna, I, I, there, I have questions for you guys. Okay, like, yeah, did this thing happen? Yeah. Right. Uh. So 
So in, in, in the main story, here's the structure of the story. There's a body hanging from a tree. You have to get the body down. You discover that instead of uh, being hung, that the body was shot before it was hung. Yes. And when you are investigating the witnesses, you come across a woman who uh, uh, several witnesses sa- say were was raped or sexually assaulted by this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are providing a cover story. And in truth, she was having an affair and was in the middle of sex with the dude when he was shot in the head. Yes. Right. And yeah. she sends you on a sort of wild goose chase after a person that could have been a suspect who is this woman, Ruby, who she tries to pin the crime on by saying Ruby was a um, a jilted lesbian uh, who who was was coming after her. And perhaps uh, Ruby shot this guy out of jealousy. Did all Mm -hmm. that happen for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. That 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 main narrative, I think, has is pretty fixed. So when you get to Ruby, she bombards you with a sonic weapon. Right. Yes. And. I had so much of my, so many of my points poured into like strength and pain tolerance and physical violence that she turned on the thing and then I was able to walk up to it and smash it. Wow. (laughs) That fucking rules. Right? But (laughs) as a consequence of that, I did not get to interview the woman. I didn't get to talk oh, to wow. Ruby oh. because she immediately, like within two dialogue options, shot herself in the head. Yeah. Does yeah, she I, kill herself in every version? No. No, and, and you can you can talk to her <laughs> if you if you don't do that, if you don't overpower her sonic weapon and just sort of engage with her, like you can have a pretty long conversation with her. And you can talk her out of committing suicide. Yeah, I oh, guess you can also you can escapes. also you can also choose to talk her into committing suicide, which I did not do. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So then, then you come back from uh, this part of the investigation, and the clock is ticking, and you get all the way back to Whirling in Rags, where these two major factions are on the brink of civil war. You have the union guys who have covered up this murder and you have a mercenary group sent by the company, right? Yes. Uh, To sort of overthrow this union. And there's a big showdown in the square. Now- Can can we play this? So while Heather's talking through this, can we play the military tribunal track I played? Because it's really good. All right, so you walk back to the town square- this music cue comes on. Now, my Harry has a gun in each hand. <laughs> and I walk into the square and there's a bunch of options, but I'm so stupid that, n- that every of every one of the dialogue options for like conversation is imp- like I have negative stats on. Like I cannot roll any of them. But what I can do is I have a 97% chance of shooting the main mercenary in the face before he can even talk. So I click that button, shoot that guy in the head. Another person opens fire on me. I succeed that roll and dodge the bullet and then shoot that guy. (laughs) That rules. But like, I know, I know in that major skirmish that my experience has to be different from what you guys experienced. And I know there are versions of that fight where Kim goes to the hospital. Yes. Like he gets injured enough that Kuno 
the the foul mouthed kid from the beginning yeah. ends up being your partner for the final sequence. Of the game. <laughs> Which is very funny to think about. Yeah, mine might uh Kim Kim got uh wounded but but was fine to go with me to the final island and uh, in in my playthrough. But yeah, it was it was a lot more talky. It was a lot more conversation focused and I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing how much tension is able to be ratcheted up in this sequence. That's basically a a dialogue tree. Yeah, it's like like I like like that. A dialogue tree is like happening while you know a gunfight is breaking out while we're seeing the sort of climate. And also, the showdown kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, like you're just shocking. you're just off taking care of other stuff, and you come back and like holy shit. It's fucking just going down right now. Yeah. It's just it's just showdown at the it's gunfight at the OK Corral out of nowhere. I'll, t- I'll just, tell you what happened in mine, though, because I didn't yeah. have I had my gun. I had a second gun on me, too, but I didn't have it in my hand. I did you guys interact with the necktie at all? Uh, yeah. In my current playthrough, I'm having a lot of conversation with a necktie. But in my previous one, no necktie. Co- you're, dialogue. you're having conversations with your necktie. Yeah. So in the, the, the beginning, necktie you get in. Yeah. In the very beginning of the game, there's you're, you're putting your clothes on and stuff too. There's a necktie hanging from your. Um, right. I got that thing. necktie. The ceiling fan. Yeah. It, I, I never think had depends a conversation on, with depends it. on your build. You start to then have conversations with him. Um, well, I sort of then don't want to spoil that Nick what happens with the necktie because um, it sort of plays very heavily into <laughs> this particular sequence. And I was like, this is the funniest. This is so crazy. I love Wait, this. I want to know. I want to know. We're in spoiler yeah. country. Nick, yeah, you can get your headphones you off. Cover okay. Your ears? Uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll take my headphones off. This will be a spoiler for the listeners, but not for me, which will yeah. be interesting. <laughs> g- g- give me give me thumbs up when you're done. Okay, okay. got it. Um, so you get a certain like liquid that you like uh, a, a certain point in the game, and then you can um, like the necktie wants you to keep him on for like the whole the whole um, like game basically. And he's like, okay. you, if you take it off to swap it out for another necktie, he's like, put me back on. What are you doing? Um, and so when you get this liquid, it's like um, you can sort of make a Molotov cocktail with the liquid and the tie. And so <laughs> I. <laughs> So and he's like he's like a really funny character. He's like very bombastic and he's like he's like um he's got a lot of attitude this tie. And uh so in that sequence in the in the um shootout I had a role where I can light the tie bomb basically and throw it um and it was still a high percentage and you throw it at the guy and I fucking missed. <laughs> but you can miss and it sucks. Um, but um, it's it's such a funny like part of the part of that sequence. And I so never. Ne- yeah. I never talked to my necktie. Yeah. Like I like I had very, very few. I had very, very few opportunities to have imaginative sequences, which I think was in uh-huh. the empire. Like I, there were rare occasions where I would imagine something and succeed by chance. Like I'd, I'd have to roll like an 11 or like an 11 or a 12 in order to yeah. succeed the, the role. And like once in a while I would be able to be like, Oh, I'm at, I'm communicating with this thought. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, like none of that shit showed up from my Harry. I, I yeah. But my Kim also didn't get injured. Oh, my Kim, mm. like I, I had such high reflexes that I was able to warn him and give him a gun, and he shot the guy. I think who would have injured him. Yeah, my my guy also. And by the way, that my experience of of I, I, uh, definitely the player character, definitely Harry gets gets injured, got injured in my playthrough. Now I'm like, I remember Kim nurses you back to health, uh, but 
I, yeah. I thought he I thought he did get injured. He he did definitely have the moment where he got off a, a like a one in a million shot and shot another guy. Um, regardless, he was fine for the end game. But uh, my experience of you of hearing Matt uh, or, or of watching you guys have that conversation was very amusing, which is that I saw Heather just like mutely start laughing extremely hard twice (laughs) (laughs) not really understand what provoked it Uh, about about the necktie real quick the like like the necktie will encourage you uh, to uh, engage in autoerotic asphyxiation using him, which yeah. is really <laughs> yeah. He, I'm telling you. So really see, funny. Heather, he's like a funny character. The next he's very guy. funny. The yeah. whole game is really funny. I mean, yeah. like, there's funny. a there there's a ton of comedy in it, and extremely well written comedy. Like none of it is cringy. None of it's like going too hard or like. I mean, it's just well. It's it's a fucking masterpiece. Like it's I I will think about this game for years. It, like, it's really, yeah, yeah, tr- tr- truly, truly, just a staggering achievement. I, I, I did want to talk real quick because it is like a detective game, and a lot of this comes from the visual calculus see- skill. But there are certain things that certain environmental, uh, you know, triggers that will cause your character to kind of go into a flow state where he will visualize what actually happened. And so, for instance, like twice for me. Yeah, it happened a bunch in my first playthrough uh, because my guy was so my guy was a thinker and was so intellect focused and I put points into visual calculus and it, it it's when he's like visualizing where like a bullet came from and how it impacted the glass and, you know, uh, what could have happened or like like a, a like, oh, here I'm looking at tire treads. And so I'm seeing that how a motor car went onto the roof of a building and sailed over, a, uh, you know, like a, sailed over a, a river and hit a sign and knocked it over. Like where, like just to see him see all the stuff sort of visualized. It's it, I don't know. It's just it's just really it, it, it's just a really clever way of conveying this kind of this character's savant like ability as a detective, despite his other personal failings. Your and it's also your version of my the version of it. Yeah, and that's detective because that's my, the other thing. My guy, yeah. Zero imagination, zero ability to like, like deduce anything from looking at stuff like my options when I would see a clue that was that that probably would require visual calculus would be like two options. One would be like move on or to say like, fuck, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) That's all I had. But it, it's really cool that you can like it's 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 kind of a class sort of system, you know, in disguise that you can play as a as a as a blunt instrument, you know, sort of a a brute and sort of get through the game that way. You could play as like more of a a, a thoughtful, you know, a, a guy who thinks his way out of situations or you can play your way as a persuasive, intimidating sort of figure, you know, who uses force of personality to get through everything. It's it's really well executed and diverse in terms of, of of builds and in terms of of play styles i don't know i it's, it's really it's really incredible i we I, I we're just raving about this thing and and there's so much stuff that i love that we haven't even touched on i do want to talk about the narrator re- real quick uh lenval brown is is who does all uh, the narration vo i i to me just in terms of volume of dialogue and how engaging uh, he's able to make everything. It's one of the best video game VO performances of all time. Uh, can we just play this clip of Wasteland of Reality and, and some context for this? So this is, an, this is something in the thought catalog. And as anyone who's ever dealt with alcohol, you know, it, it, or dealt with any sort of addiction I, and, and had periods of sobriety, and uh, and and lapses and and so forth. I, I think this just does kind of the 
evokes the feeling of sobriety and what 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 it is to be sober after you know binging. Um, and uh, I, I think just as a piece of writing, this is so good. But then also like the 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 narration performance here of conveying this and making this engaging is is really good. And also just kind of gives you a, sa- a, a sampling of Linval Brown's uh, amazing pipes. So let's play this Wasteland of Reality clip. Wasteland of Reality. Congrats, you're sober. It will take a while for your body to remember how to metabolize anything that isn't sugar from alcohol. So you're going to be pretty ravenous soon. Eat plenty. You can expect your coordination and balance to improve in a couple of weeks. In two months, you might start sleeping like a normal person. Full recovery will take years though. It'll be depressing and it'll be boring. Don't expect any further rewards or hand claps. This is how normal people are all the time. Really good. Yeah. So good. The, I, His voice I is read, fantastic. It's great. I read that it took eight months for him to record all the dialogue for uh, the narrator. Narrator. Um, it's, uh, it's unbelievable because he's, he's basically, you know... Um, it's it's almost like he's doing like a two, like two dozen different characters when you take yeah. into account yeah. all the different like modes he's got to shift into. It's it's pretty pretty incredible. I wish it's, my voice uh, sounded like that in my head. It's just this. Mine does. <laughs> what, what a fucking I don't game! Understand. Like I don't. What do you guys? What do you mean voice in your head? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Hearing a voice in your head is normal, but not hearing uh-huh. one is is stranger. Oh, Wait, okay. I'm curious. Do you do you guys have internal monologues? Because I don't. No, I'd do not you just really. have like a like a running monologue at all times. Some people no, do. I'll just like kind of say stuff. I'll in like your say, head. No, like out loud. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I gotta loud, go okay. to the store. Okay, so you'll yeah. talk. Yeah, or I'll okay. say, or I'll say like, you know, you piece of shit, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that sometimes. I, or God, why did like... I say that? As I've gotten older, my experience of my uh, internal monologue is more aggressively dreamlike. Like mm-hmm. I will get completely lost in a alternate world of thoughts. But it's not a diet. It's it's like it it's akin to dreaming. It's like oh, I'm I somebody was talking to me and I I got lost in a thought, completely lost in a thought, and mm-hmm. and all of the outside world got shut down. As I was sort of experiencing that thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's also like an ADHD thing. I mm-hmm. don't know. Maybe. Um, who knows? Who knows? Who uh, knows we... what what is this? Kuno. What is this? What is any of this? <laughs> Kuno? That's yeah. That's also often a, a, a line of dialogue that you get to ask uh, another person in Disco Elysium. Oh my is God. Like, it's so good. It's like who am I? What are we experiencing? What is this? Yeah. I couldn't do it very often because I would take so many morale hits during those conversations that if I didn't have a ton of fucking medicine on me, I couldn't keep engaged. Yeah. The, the, the character. So, so Joyce, who I've mentioned earlier, who is the, uh, I think wild pines is the company's the wild pines company rep. Who's on a boat, which just also just, again, every element of this is so fucking wild. Like, Oh, she's on a boat because it's an archipelago and that's how everyone sails between the different aisles. Uh, so you go up and talk to her 
And she gives you so much of a, of a, I think it's a just lowdown of reality, I think is, is in the thought catalog. But on my first playthrough, I don't think I, I got to her section of the map until like day two or three. And she gives you so much context for the world that on this playthrough, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to beeline to Joyce. I'm going to talk to her like very early on because <laughs> those conversations with her is, is she's, you'll just be like, 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 so I've noticed you're on a boat. Like, like that, you know, and then she'll give you some context and then, then you'll be like, what is a boat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she'll, she'll like get confused by how little limited understanding you have of a world and she'll break things. But she also is like super smart and super well-educated uh, and also like a, a, a craven piece of shit, but we'll, we'll break things down on, on micro level. But did the, did the two of you get the explanation of pale from Joyce? Pale? Wait, P-A-L-E? P-A-L-E. It sounds vaguely familiar. I don't remember. Oh man, this this to me is like this is one of those things where it's so. To reference Planescape Torment real quick, there's a there's an NPC in it. I believe who, his name is Nordum, and he's like one of the best NPCs in the game, both in terms of you know his effectiveness and his dialogue options. But he's so tucked away; it's like so hard to find Nordum in a norm, in normal progression. I think the pale explanation is a similar sort of thing here where it's like pretty tucked away. You have to go talk to Joyce without Kim. You have to talk to him, uh, talk to her alone. Oh, uh, I did so that. like after he's gone to bed. Yeah. And then you ask for a lowdown, lowdown of reality to the point where she breaks down uh, the fundamental nature of our world. And then pale is the basically there are like gaps in reality that exist in Elysium. They're just like mm. vacuums of matter. And uh, the, you get the sense that the pale or you're, you're told that the pale is growing. And so eventually what you're what you're living with in, is a reality of um, uh, basically like these solar flares are growing that are going to completely encompass all that exists. And you're just living in this doomed apocalyptic, uh, you know, waiting room as your uh, as pale is, is gradually absorbing all of reality and. It's it's like one of those things that so informs the rules of the world, and it's also just so kind of optional and tucked away. But it's it's just like an awesome bit of context. I I, I don't know. I like I I don't even know how to to approach this. Like if I if I sh- if I'm trying to say like it should be more forward because it's such a key part of lore, or if it's good that it's so tucked away because it's an amazing nugget of context that yeah but i don't know it's it's fucking it just it's just like a microcosm for all the depth that exists within this game that that you can get that you can a fundamental the fundamental nature of this world uh is so tucked away in an optional interaction with an npc that you have to go out of your way to find i feel like i might have gotten that part of the lore because i kept telling people the end of the world was coming like I, mm, I, sure. I might have gotten it through through Joyce, but I also there's a, a, a optional side quest where you are interacting with these uh, like punk kids who want to start a music club in an yes. abandoned church. And then you investigate that church because they want to they want to occupy it. But there's a bunch of technology and shit in the church. And if you activate that technology, the woman who runs this experiment enters and asks you to stop fucking with shit. But what she's discovered is a a, a section of reality that's missing, like a small yes. pocket of reality in the church is missing. 
and I and and you sort of have a dialogue with her about it. Um, I evicted her and then let the uh, <laughs> <laughs> like anytime it was the worst. I was like, this is the worst choice. I'll make yeah, this choice. So like, I physically kicked her out of the church. Uh, like overpowered her and made her leave and then cut a deal with the punks so that I would get 50% of their drug profits uh, while they while they made a dance club at the church. This fucking game, man. There's this, like there's I, things in it that yeah. we'll never see probably. Yeah. Like um, I, however many times we play through it. 100%. Yeah, I, I let the punks cohabitate with the uh, with the researcher and uh, they actually get got along merrily. Uh, but yeah, that 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 gap in reality uh, is pale. Like you, yeah. you do figure it out. So I don't know, man. What a fucking are, are we on the other side of, of spoiler country? Do we have any other stuff we want to say about the main plot or the end game? Should we yeah, get to our I wanna, final thoughts? I want to talk about oh, the, I mean. the interaction with your ex-wife oh, in, yeah. in the dream that happened for me post finding out who the killer was. Another thing s- that you can miss you can miss this dream, which is so key to the plot. Yes. Uh, yeah. I. So I was anytime I could like check something off when I was like wandering around, I would just do it even if it was like not narratively coherent because mm-hmm. my Harry was like a piece of shit anyway. So I found out who the murderer was and then walking back through the murderer's hideout, there's a bed and I took a nap in the bed because it was on my list of things to do. And you, I, I had, Harry had an, an incredible dream where he sees his ex-wife as this goddess who you learn about by investigating the church, or at least that's how I learned about the goddess by investigating the church. It was fucking heartbreaking. Like it yeah. was, it was awful, awful. Like she, she's, she talks about how like they were totally different people in their twenties and she thought he was cool, but he couldn't pay bills and he wasn't actualized in any way. And then she was sort of compelled to leave him and that now she was with somebody else and pregnant with that person's child. And like, and Harry's just like, please, please, please stop, please. I can't do this. And it it was, it was awful. It's incredible. Uh, the the you could also like you can you can get a figurine at the you can get a special figurine at the pawn shop that you can present to Dolores Day, who is the uh, the character, uh, mm. the deity in this interaction uh, in your dream sequence, which is a thing that like, you know, would have been set up very early on, you know, in the first couple hours of gameplay that 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 eventually pays off. But again, it's completely optional and missable. I, I the wait, so, wait, did she take it from you? Because for me, she was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you yeah, give no, this to me? No, she didn't yet. Yeah, no, she didn't want it. Uh, but I was going to say the, <laughs> the this this is a thing of 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 I, I, I I'm glad that someone gave me the piece of advice of, hey, when you without a spoiler, when you get to the end of the game, you have an opportunity to take a nap. Make sure you take the nap and and no other context. Like like if I could give anyone any bit of advice when they're getting into this game, I know we're in spoiler country, so you're not going to hear this. if you haven't played it this yet. So I don't know exactly how to convey this, but. Yeah, like that that is that is one thing which I I almost wish the game just made your character go to sleep so you experience that dream. But then again, I guess that would be a uh, counter to everything that it had been doing up to that point. But yeah, it's such an awesome sequence. Also just like the the fucking 
the depth of the lore that Dolores Day is kind of a Christ-like figure in this world, that she is worshipped as a god, uh, churches are built in her honor, and is also kind of the founder of centrism, it seems like. Like yeah. there is like a like the the moralism, yeah, moralism. Kim is a moralist, uh, that you know, your partner is a moralist, that that like this philosophy kind of comes from Dolores Day, the centrism that governs the world. It's just like there's so much going on. And then Dolores Day ends up being a surrogate for your wife. Fuck, man. Complicated. And really, great. really great. Um, are, if we're still in here, though, I feel like we've yeah. got to talk. Are we going to not talk about the cryptozoology at all? I mean, like, like <laughs> so fucking good. So there's, good. There's so much shit in this game. And so like, much. The like the very like I don't know it's just an inch I mean this is like true end end stuff obviously yes if you're right. listening this far you're comfortable with hearing it I'm I'm sure I mean because this is gonna be a a, a media app a chunky app but wait before um, before you get to yeah. the the final reveal can I can I say how you how you start this quest yes. So you, you meet a you meet a woman in whirling in rags. Her husband or is missing because he's a cryptozoologist hunting for imaginary or legendary bugs, sort of like as a Pokemon finder, right? Yes. Uh, and the dialogue that you have to go through in order to get through this quest is pages and pages and pages of imaginary bugs. And I screenshotted a moment where <laughs> where Kim. <laughs> like <laughs> Kim does not want to fucking talk to this lady about no. cryptozoology. Uh so I say, but Kim, don't you want to hear about another cryptid cryptid too? Kim Kutsuragi, the lieutenant, pauses thoughtfully. Volition, medium, success. Something in him breaks. Kim Kutsuragi. <laughs> Ah, fuck it. Let's have more cryptids. <laughs> yeah, that happened, that happened to me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, her husband is missing, right? And then so you have to go find the husband, and you have to help the husband set traps for this imaginary, uh, or you know, this 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 cryptid, and you have to inspect them for him. And there's like a, a, a sort of a lengthy uh, quest line uh, with that. But then at the very end, when you when you're confronting the killer of the uh, you know of the hanged man. Uh, and, and which is less interesting to me now at this point, um, because then you get uh, a, a the cryptid that you're looking for. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a bit giant praying mantis. Basically, is what it looks like. Um, comes and speaks with you, and yeah, uh, and reveals itself. And I don't know if it speaks to you or if it speaks um, to everyone, but I like understood it. And uh, you know, my playthrough, my guy knew what he was saying and what he was talking about and stuff. Uh, she, and they like really connected, and it was like I, I just like a beautiful conversation. I, I loved it. I, I, I loved that as a as like a end set piece, as it I, were. I loved so initially when you're having this conversation with the murderer, he's talking about sort of being disenfranchised and disconnected from the greater world. Mm -hmm. And initially, the motive for the murder feels like jealousy, both economically and sexually. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. He is a communist revolutionary that tried to help take over Revachal and then deserted and stayed on this island for, I think, 40 years. And as he explains, I have a, a screen caption here. Uh, he talks about watching the world continue and also watching the march of capitalism and how destructive it is. And he says... Uh, 
I've seen it. And you say, seen what? And he says, the mask of humanity fall from capital. It has to take it off to kill everyone, everything you love, all the hope and the tenderness in the world. It has to take it off just for one second to do the deed. And then you see it as it strangles and beats your friends to death. The sweetest, most courageous people in the world. You see the fear and power in its eyes. And then, you know, and so like, I like while this guy's talking to me before the fucking cryptid stands up, I'm like, I mean, fuck, this dude yeah. kind of has like a fucking point, kind of. Yes. Yeah. He also he also doesn't like you. He doesn't like he's just like he's like a very, you know, yeah, he's there there's something for the way the game this the, the way this game is written of and I wonder how much of it comes from just like, you know, it it being produced by this northern European nation uh that is that where where maybe everyone is is well educated and well read or maybe just the creators of this game but it's just like every single character in this game has such a, 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 a as such a seems to have su- such a such a vast vocabulary and such an intricate understanding of the world and of of different political realities and this character is just one of them just like it's it's like basically a, a a sniper living in isolation but he just talks so fluently about all the political principles that you know that that, that have led to this dystopian society um i i love i love the the long conversations with this guy and and i thought it was yes. just such a satisfying payoff for this for the mystery i like that we actually get some sort of solution to you know this who done it i yes. thought it was just going to stay ambiguous but yes yeah so then the cryptid comes about <laughs> and I read, uh, first off, this is the only cryptid you encounter in the entire game. Yeah. So up until this point, you could just be like, well, these guys are just full of shit. This is just like a complete, this is like people looking for Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or whatever. This is like a thing that, I mean, those are real. So they're bad examples. Right, yeah. But like uh, someone looking for like the skunk ape, which is a fake one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so like, like the, you, you could just think they're, they're, they're looking for, they're just full of shit. And then an actual cryptid comes about at the very, very end and, and, and pays off this, uh, you know, this sort of tangent. Uh, as far as whether it talks to you or not, it talked to me in my playthrough, and then I read that it, it depends on whether or not you use the pheromones that you're given. Oh. Uh, I believe that the guy's mm. wife gives you pheromones, or maybe the guy, the cryptozoologist himself. And if you don't use those, then you just you still see the cryptid, but you don't have a dialogue with it. Well, yeah, I must. I did that because I spoke with the with the cryptid, and the cryptid sort of told me uh, what its whole deal was. And then yeah. you get, but the, it, I was really satisfied with it because, like you know, for a game not with with zero combat, I feel like there are things in the game that sort of like replace combat for you, right? Like the yes. um, like. Uh, dialogue is combat. Yeah, dialogue is combat. Yes, when you get attacked, like uh, when you're uh, when your morale is going low, you're, you're like trying to figure out how to not have that happen, right? Um, but when you get to take the picture of the cryptid, I was so happy that I got it. Cause I was like, wow, I get to make, I get to prove to these two people who were nice to me the whole time that yes. they were right about something. And that felt yeah. good to me. Not only did I solve a mystery, I got to help these people uh, with their, with their little errand. Were uh, you able to get that f- footage back to them? I don't think so. I think cause yeah, then I, when you get I, back, yeah. if there's, then you talk with the cops the, uh, the, the your fellow police officers uh and then the game is over <laughs> like and yeah. that's it yeah. like that's that's quote unquote that's it like right like Here, there's so much in it to to what you said about combat i think that what i responded to in this game is that there is still a, a sense of stakes 
and a sense of risk mm-hmm. in each piece of dialogue that you interact with. And 100%. when you are interacting with that bug, it feels like combat because you're like, okay, I there's like f- seven choices here. I don't know which one of them is going to scare off this fucking bug. And I don't want that to happen. So you're like, each decision you're making has the tension and friction of combat because there are consequences to everything. And like some of the things that you roll checks on can never be rolled again. And some of the things for me are barricaded beyond such an enormous re-roll of my character that they are effectively blocked off once I've done them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that moment with the cryptid was like extremely tense because I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know if this bug is going to eat the eat the guy who's committed the murder. I don't know if the bug's going to kill me or Kim, but like you make these little tiny choices like you push your finger into that reality a little bit. And then it's so, God, it's so fucking rewarding. It's an incredible game. Can, can I ask you real quick uh, about the, the end game, end game, uh, I guess that almost like the, 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 the ending, which is basically, you know, after you, yeah. you encounter the cryptid, you go back, uh, the, you, you encounter your partner who you may, may have talked to on the radio earlier, depending on, on your choices you made. And, uh, you saw in disguise, uh, you saw some cops from your precinct in disguise in the lobby yeah. of the hostel at a certain point. Now you see all of them and you have this conversation with them. Um, and Kim will come out and kind of give an evaluation or kind of a closing sort of thoughts on you. And you can also, if you if you really got Kim to trust you, that's actually the, the achievement is goodest of the good cops really get Kim to trust you. That's the text of the achievement. Then you can recruit him. Uh, which I was able to successfully do on my playthrough. I like he he liked me enough where I was able to recruit him, recruit him to join our precinct. But what happened with you, Heather? Because you clearly he, displeased he, him. No, he also joined my precinct. Wow! Because yeah, I, so, I got him too. Yeah, I think there were there there were enough opportunities for me, like because I was I was like a playful fascist. So there were plenty of times <laughs> where I'd fascist. be like. Where I'd be like, yeah, man, you like this shit. Like, I, I listened to you earlier. I picked the right dialogue tree. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make Harry a little bit more three-dimensional. But yeah, Kim Kim joined my my precinct. It, it kind of speaks, I guess, to his, to his moral calculus then. Because he is a moralist, he's a centrist, and he's a pragmatist. So he's like, well, this guy may be a racist and he may be a homophobe, uh, but he is a good detective. So, not a homophobe. You know, not a oh, homophobe. not a homophobe. I'm sorry. My my Harry was not a homophobe. He was possibly oh, wow. potentially homosexual. Wow. Yeah. Um. Uh. Hell of a hell of a hell of an experience. Yeah. We we didn't we also didn't talk about the expression, which there's. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's fun. There's a million things to talk about so that much. we yeah. didn't talk about because I'm sure we didn't experience we didn't experience everything to yeah. to, to talk about. So yep. much to discuss. I, I, the, the, the one thing that that distresses me or that gave me anxiety leading up to this episode was anyone who's anticipating listening to this and wants us to hear us talk about blank and knowing that we won't talk about blank because there's just so much to cover in this game. So, like, I apologize if you're out there and you really wanted to hear us talk about, you know, uh, the the graffiti artist who's up on the balcony and heckles you, and we didn't get to that because there's we just didn't- a we didn't yeah. talk about the Hardy Boys. We didn't the Hardy really, Boys at all. Yeah, we didn't which is talk a huge about Classio. Like we didn't. Like I want to know. Did so? Apparently, the survival rate of the Hardy Boys in the final 
skirmish is fluctuates. So like a number of them can die or just a couple of them can die. How many people died in your version of that that fight? I believe three of my guys died. Heather, my how about you? Guys. Three, three hardy boys. Why you refer to them as my guys? All I'm right. a communist. Yeah, I'm going to stand with organized labor. I think they all um, should have a seat at the table. The main dude did not die uh, in my in my playthrough, and apparently he can he can take a bullet and, and lose. Yeah, uh, uh, my main guy survived too. But mm, I think three or four of them of the other guys died. I lost five of them. I had two Holy guys shit. left. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that was after I was saying before we recorded that I, that was like the only part of the game where I sort of like save scummed a little bit. And I was like, this can't, I'm not going to let this happen. No way. And then it, <laughs> it like pretty much happened every single time. Like I was, mm. every time I rerolled, they would just, I would just get obliterated in that part. Yeah. <sighs> it's a fun game not to save gum, save scum. I would say. Yeah. Rather. Cause that, like, cause like li- just living with your bad decisions or, or with the, with the character failing is, is interesting too in this game. It yeah. was, uh, it was, uh, that part in particular, I was like, I got to see what the outcome could be, though, because like of something right. that you didn't hear when I was talking about uh, when we when I had you take your headphones <laughs> right. off. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely it's a game that I absolutely want to revisit at some point. I I, I, I love it. Uh, should we be uh, should we exit spoiler country and come out on the other side? Absolutely. So this will be the timestamp time when people can get back into the episode proper. If, you've, if you didn't want to be spoiled now leaving spoiler country. Have a nice day. I know we don't do numbers on the on scores and stuff anymore, but this game is 10 out of 10 for me. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, easily. It's fucking perfect. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's amazing. We also had talked about, like, maybe bringing back, maybe we were wrong. And the truth is that if you had set us up for it, Nick, I was just going to say no. We are not. And that was going to be the entire segment. <laughs> uh, people like maybe we're wrong and, and people like hearing the the bad reviews of good games or good reviews of bad games. The issue with this one is that if you kind of look at the reviews of this on the Steam store, uh, the the negative takes is that. It, there, there's nothing where it's like, oh, this is a funny bad take. This is someone hating on a game that if, for a stupid reason, or maybe some of those exist and I just couldn't find them. But a lot of times they are like of, you know, legitimate like technical complaints about the game because it is a little bit buggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UI is a little clunky, you know, for instance, using drugs. We didn't really talk about drugs in this game all that much, but like using alcohol and and using um cigarettes and and what have you uh and the 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 illicit substances it's like it's like a little cumbersome to actually use that and to figure it out and you know like also like just the the there's not much of a there's not a very good auto save system in this game for a modern game you really have to think in terms of old school pc rpg sort of like a creep and save sort of way of playing it of, of just just quick saving frequently and you can lose a lot of progress if you don't do that yeah so there are there are the 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 detriments to this game are like I don't know they're just like not fun they don't they aren't like 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 oh this is like a this is like a you know they're legitimate complaints that you think even someone who loves the game uh, is an, an apologist for this game can still kind of agree with yeah but it's and but I, it's fucking great I did have tons I played on Switch and I lost huge portions of my playthrough and had to play through them again because there's very limited autosave. 
And yeah. before the update, the Switch version crashed constantly, mm-hmm. like fucking constantly, um, which I had not seen on a Switch game before, like the error codes and then just exiting out to your home menu. Um, by the end of my playthrough after the update, that was less of an issue. But yeah, it's 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 just game strains. It strains your system no matter what you're playing it on. Uh, shout out Estonia before we we uh, we we move on. Yeah, a Weiger Weiger an Estonian name. Uh, my grandfather, uh, fully Estonian, his grandparent or his parents rather, uh, Martin T. U. Weiger emigrated from Estonia. So I I do have a tenuous arms length connection to uh, Estonia as my ancestral homeland and. Um, yeah, a, a, a tiny little Baltic state that that produced this one of this one of the greatest games of all time, just kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, that's amazing. And I was going to say to that point too. I mean, not to the Estonian point, but to the greatest of all time. It was added to the IGN's 100 games of all time list. It's number 10. Right. It yeah. shot up out of nowhere, straight to 10. Yeah, of all just time. the the audacity to make this fucking thing. That's yeah. that's to me what what is the most staggering. Like, yes, it's it's fucking great, but also just to be like, hey, we're gonna make a game, we're but we're gonna try to make something completely new. We're gonna make the most ambitious, daring design we can possibly think of, and if it fails, it fails, and they just knocked it out of the park. It's yeah. just it's it's like it's like starting with you know uh, whatever. It's like it, it's 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 like if if the Wright brothers had just sort of like invented the airplane out of nothing. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just like if we'd gone from the wheel straight to the airplane. It's like if the Wright brothers had been like, so we're going to test flight by building a space shuttle. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and see if we can get to space because only outer space is true flight. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's better. Fucking, fucking staggering. Um, Hey, those were our thoughts. Uh, We're not wrong. But we did want to hear yours. It's time for the Ryu Crew. Ryu Crew. Do we have a? Do I have like a vocal sting for this? I don't remember. Maybe you do a Hadouken. Ryu Crew. Oh yeah, that's right. It's Ryu. Ryu Crew. Hadouken. There we go. (laughs) There it is. We've got some of your reviews of this month's We Play, You Play, Disco Elysium. Uh, Matt, let's get into these. All right. This one's from at Lawful Nerd on Twitter, and they write, Brilliant game that encourages and rewards you for being weird and not taking the safe options. The greatest greatest achievement of my drug-obsessed, art-loving super cop with a revolutionary feminist agenda, had an obsession with cryptids, (laughs) was getting Kim to boogie down with me. So in in he attached a, a video... Uh, I, uh, on on Twitter, and it's of in the in the church dancing with the the punks, uh, and rolling successfully to get Kim to dance along <laughs> with him with the cop. Wow, fantastic! S- so um, fucking cool. In, like just an option that I never would have uh, thought was uh, possible. Yeah. Um, this one's from at gs g. This one's from at gsoto83 on Twitter. Never before have I been so absolutely terrified of the quantity of a video game in my life before. This is one of the few games where I feel like I could spend my whole life going through it and not have seen and heard everything. Yeah, it yeah. it is it is truly it's overwhelming, and I think the only way to approach this 
if you're playing it for the first time and you're listening to this portion of the episode for some reason, uh, is just just accept that you're not going to see everything. Just yeah. accept that that it's impossible to do on a single playthrough and just play the way, just pick the choices you think are interesting. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and this, I'll, I'll read this, uh, this is my, uh, the last one that I'll read here from at Mr. Scuttlebutt on Twitter. And they write, it's wonderful, creatively deranged with excellent writing that makes the world and its characters feel real. I loved reloading a save just so I could check out some different paths. All great. Soundtrack is perfect. Voice acting is perfect. Kim is perfect. 10 out of 10. Kim is perfect. Kim is perfect. perfect. I'm going to buy that jacket. That jacket. Yeah. The jacket is good. Oh yeah. shit! A couple funny. I'm googling it right game, now. But... Disco, disco, Elysium jacket. Box. Yeah, Zelm Let's... sells an official one. It's apparently a really nice piece of merch. I think I'm gonna get oh, one. Oh shit! It's really cool. Oh, oh. man! There's also, as Matt mentioned, the funny jackets. There's also jackets that have slurs on the back of them that, yeah. that punks wear that you can get and then also wear yourself. Yeah, they're so, wow. You <laughs> not can funny get his in pants. like the regular way, but kind yes. of just funny. Yeah, you you can get Kim's pants. Oh man! And it offers you stats when you get the man. I might just get Kim's whole fit. Yeah, and then you wow. walk up to him. And he's like, "Why are you dressed like me?" Yeah, you what, idiot. What is the point of this? Yeah, if I ever see you doing this again, we have work to do. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Are we I, all going to get the jacket? <laughs> yeah, I think we will. I we think we should all get should, the jacket right? and then pose for a group photo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't I don't know where else to go with this. I guess that's this week's Get Played. Follow us on social media at Get Played Pod. Our music and engineering are by Devin Bryant, and he's a hero for editing this super long episode. Uh, you yes. can follow him on Twitter at BaffleGabs. There you go. Guys. Oh, um, guys, wait, hold on. Oh, I what? forgot to say something real quick before we, what? What? Before we wrap up. Yeah. You got played. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I did. I got played. 